Hey, everybody, we're going to have a longer bit than usual. Uh, this is the first of perhaps an occasional series called Splainin' Science. And uh, because I like to make everything competitive, uh, we're going to make a competition here. Uh, we're going to have an opportunity to explain a science concept. And uh, because what can you do if you're going to have a competition, you have to have a judge. So we actually have Shane Malone with us today. And <laughs> Shane is going to help determine whether the University of Colorado or the University of Minnesota produces better science explainers. We have as our as our science concept to explain the idea of the Roche limit, which is mentioned, uh, I think, once in the movie that we're going to talk about today. <sighs> Moonfall. So uh, I figured, uh, Tim, if you want to give your I, what, what we did was this was an homage to the uh, incredibly great XKCD uh, cartoon where they explain the Saturn V using only the thousand most common words in the English language. And if you've never seen that, you should go over to XKCD. We can probably put a link to it in the uh, description for the uh, podcast, but I asked him to come up with using only the thousand most common words in the English language to come up with an explanation for the Roche limit. And I did the mm -hmm. same thing. And Shane, you can tell us uh, who came up with a better explanation. Yeah, Tim? I'm totally here for it. Thanks. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Here we go. Uh, so uh, when you have one space rock that goes around another space rock, it's how close the smaller space rock can get to the bigger one before the force from the size of the bigger one breaks the smaller one. Thanks. Uh, mine is, if a small rock goes around a big rock, it takes some time. The closer the small rock is to the big rock, the less time it takes to go around the big rock. If a small rock has some size, the close part of the little rock wants to go faster than the part of the little rock that is far away. So the little rock wants to pull apart. The closer the little rock gets to the big rock, the more it wants to pull apart. Too close, and the little rock will be pulled so hard that it will break. It will keep breaking until it is little bits. This would happen long before the small rock gets to the big rock. Long, long before, very long before. If the two rocks actually touch, they will fast turn into one very hot ball of fire rock. People who think it would instead be fine for humans have bad thinking and should not make movies. Well, Shane, what do you think? <laughs> well, um, Tim's was very concise and to the point, but I felt like we went on a journey with Tola's story there. And not only that, but you brought in the subject matter of tonight. So I think I might have to give it to Tola. Thank you. Now, I do feel like I had an unfair advantage because <laughs> I sort of knew where I wanted to, to, to go with this. And, and, and Tim, I promise you that if we do explain in science again next time, I'll have our guest uh, pick the topic and, uh, and, and maybe help, help uh, you know, so I won't have an unfair advantage on this. <laughs> This this was uh, this was as rigged as a Twitter poll by the person <laughs> who owns Twitter. Say that. <clears throat> and with that, we'll go to theme.
All right, we're back from our theme. And uh, as I mentioned uh, in the uh, intro, we do have a guest with us today. Hey. Hello. Hello, hello. Uh, my name is uh, Shane Malone. I go by they, she uh, pronouns. Happy to be here to represent the lay people in the world. Um, I'm not an engineer by trade, but I do have a background in anthropology, in criminology. I have a master's in criminal justice. Um, I worked with the FBI for almost 10 years. Now I'm working with these lovely folks on this podcast here. And I've, I jokingly uh, put it that I've ended my true crime era and I've started my sci-fi era in my life. So um, trying to take in all things space and what better way to start off with Moonfall. Not <laughs> oh sure. Oh my that's... goodness. <laughs> uh, Thank you. Well, and I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. I, all the feelings. All the feelings. <laughs> can I, can I, I just say bef- before we even get into it? Yeah. That, um, I had the experience. Does anybody ever. You guys, of course, played D&D, right? Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> if you get a bad DM, right? They will, they will like change the rules as the game is progressing. When they realize that the thing they were trying to get you to do isn't working out, they will like bend space and time to force the, the narrative in the direction they want it to go. And, and I felt this film did this. So I can't even, there's things that I can't even fault or comment on because they change throughout the course of the movie in in just <laughs> fundamental ways because he's he's I feel like he's just I wondered if he shot it linearly and then just changed things as he went um well t- to that point did you guys read up on how this movie was made at all no no okay no. so um I I just after watching it I needed context <laughs> Because this guy, this director, right? He did like Independence Day and all these like mm-hmm. blockbuster movies of the '90s, The Patriot, like oh my, all these amazing things. So I'm like, how did this literally crash and burn? Um, and I have a feeling it's going to become a cult classic in generations to come. But it is so bad I, because of COVID. So um, this is a film that got started pre-COVID, and then. Um, they sunk so much money into it. Um, and this this idea had been kicking around in the director's brain since 07 um, from a book where the theory of the movie where the moon is a construct comes out. And then he sold the rights, got it back, got a good cast going. And then like Stanley Tucci was supposed to be in the film. Wow. <laughs> I love Stanley Tucci, but because of COVID, he couldn't like do it. So I'm wondering, like on the Wikipedia page, it talks about how a lot of the money, because, you know, this is like one of the most expensive films of all time now. Um, they built like oh, close to 150 sets for this film because of COVID restrictions. Hmm. So I'm wondering if it was a mixture of COVID timeline so much money was sunk into it. They needed to get it out. Cause at the end of the day, for me, it feels like a really rushed movie. Like this easily could have been like three movies. Well, like well thought out. Like mm-hmm. the concept is great. Yeah. The execution, yeah. not so much. Yeah, you're right. There's, there's so many different plots that kind of don't really have anything to do with each other. And, yeah, at the very least, or at the very least, they tried to start with one thing and then had to shoehorn it into something else. That makes me feel slightly more charitable towards the film. 
well, still made it. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was still... I'm just... Is it weird that it's so bad that I want to go back and watch it again? I've seen it twice now. Oh, Tim. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that I need to watch it again. I saw it well, so I, well two and two in a little bit. So I, I saw it. Uh, I started watching it on an airplane once. Um, I made it through the opening scene and and rage quit. Um, and and then uh, I found there was an episode of How Did This Get Made uh, that that talked about this film that convinced me to to watch the whole thing all the way through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm glad that I did. Um, but I, I think I think two is enough. Yeah, I, I don't know if if I'll see it again. I probably will because it seems like it's one of those films that'll be on TV. It's yeah, it's like within five years it'll be on some channel at all times. Like at any given time of the day, you'll be able to find it on one of the channels, which is mm-hmm. the way that uh, oh, the one with John Cusack. Uh, that's the way that one is, right? Twenty twelve, right? Twenty twelve is on somewhere on oh, cable, right? Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. <laughs> So this will this will be the same way I think. Yeah, and it was it was it was bad enough that I had to sh- I had to share it with uh, with Emily and 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 the kids because you know some some of these things you just can't explain you just have to show somebody how bad it is. It I don't know. Have you did you guys ever watch Cats? Did you ever? No, I have not. That? I have not. I have not uh, uh, found <laughs> not, the not in this most fortitude. Carnation, just, the, the, the James Corden version. Yeah, there's very few movies that I just sit there and go, how, how did it, how did it get through so many hands? Because you know, there's, you look at the credits, right, and you're just like, how, how did this get approved by so many people? And Cats was really the first one where I felt really, really bad for like the actors and everything. And I don't know, like, I'm a big fan of Halle Berry. And for a good chunk of that movie, I was like, is this Halle Berry? She looks like she did back in like 2000. Like one, she hasn't aged today. Two, I I was just in shock until I saw her name on the wheel that she agreed to this. Like they had to have gotten the scripts. Like Right, right. Yeah, Halle Berry clearly doesn't have to take a movie, right? She, right. she, She took this on the strength of like Patrick Wilson. Okay, Patrick Wilson, I can see... Uh, he did um, – I actually thought that Midway was a great film. Um, it's kind of – it's it's pro-World War II. You have to think, you know, we're the good guys in World War II. But mm-hmm. uh, Midway was a really fun movie, and Patrick Wilson was one of the leads in that. So I can see, okay, Patrick Wilson, you know, gets convinced to do another Roland Emmerich film. But, all right, Halle Berry didn't have to take it. As you say, somebody no. brought her that script, and she said, this is Megastructures. This is the film I've been looking for. So finally, we we crack the egg on mega structures. Yeah, I mean, this is this is you know Academy Award winning actor Halle Berry, uh, right? I mean, Patrick Wilson um, nominated for Tony Awards actually. He's uh, a senior, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then you know uh, the the occasional, um, I mean, they, Stanley Tucci right was going to be in this, uh, and Don, Donald Just, Sutherland, uh, although yeah. maybe not necessarily known for the best choices, uh, but. Yeah, you and I have reviewed another Donald Sutherland <laughs> science fiction film quite recently. Yes. But at least, you know what? You know what? Ad Astra did a better job utilizing Donald Sutherland than this film did. Yes. If you can have Donald Sutherland in your film, why give him 60 seconds of exposition and then shuffle him off the stage? Like, really? That's what you're going to do? 
I just, I also, okay. So I wanted to ask you guys, this is, this is kind of my, my personal moment of when I knew that this film was going to be like a, a trash fire. Right. My moment was when, um, they started bleeding in like the, the military and like their response to everything. And like, it was when they were NASA and the guy turns around and he goes, Hey, like you've been gunning for my position. Like, here you go. And here's my card, like and getting access. <laughs> yeah, and right. my eyes just start, I like stopped what I was doing. And then like the whole, like, and I don't know if you caught this when Donald Sutherland entered, right. She's like in the room getting these secret files, like knowing how investigations go to, and how she'd never seen his, 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 like the camera, the, the footage from his camera, that never would have happened. That would have, like, she would have been part of that. But for him to like enter and catch her in the act and he goes, you're not supposed to be here. And then right after that line, there's no like back and forth between the two characters. There's no like her basically making a charisma check to like prove like I should be here. He's like, you're not supposed to be here. But let me tell you all the secrets and sorry, but not sorry. Like I'm, I'm from the generation that fucked all this up and goodbye. Like, right. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> what? <laughs> that yep. was the moment where I knew, like I knew it was bad, but like, that's, that's wow. really poor. So, so my question yeah. is, yeah. Like what is the moment in the film that you were like, Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. I mean, my, my, my rage quit moment was, uh, in, in the opening scene, basically mm. where, <laughs> okay, fair. where, where it's, 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 it's two astronauts on a spacewalk. Uh, <laughs> and, and instead of like, you know, like actually talking to mission control and like paying attention to what they're doing, um, they are over, over the communication system, uh, listening to Toto's Africa, uh, because of course that's what you do when you're on a spacewalk. Um, and and dancing and to 500 it. people are listening to your conversation <laughs> yeah. right that's that's the thing yeah. there's no there's no privacy uh, in anything related to STS or ISS right mm -hmm. like every single thing that you're doing is uh, and every minute of every day is micromanaged by 500 people who are competing for that minute right like it's hard enough i worked for a company where we had somebody on comms right for some for some tests that were going on at iss and it's like you have to be you have to be incredibly professional just to be working the back room of iss right <clears throat> much less being on a spacewalk yeah i mean that whole thing can you can you imagine uh, like turning on turning on NASA TV to like check out you know what's going on on the spacewalk and and there's uh you know Patrick Wilson just yucking it up uh, to to yeah. Toto's Africa like yeah cool. you know at least George Clooney's banter with uh, Sandra Bullock in Gravity was maybe like you could maybe believe that Mission Control would allow that level of conversation to go on but yeah the the Toto yeah. I mean, the amount of training that they have to go through because this, I mean, there it's, it's sensitive material, it's top secret material, but at, at the end of the day, it's, it's government record, right? Like it's going somewhere, some archive, and that is like nailed into like anytime that you enter a government space of that level, you, you see all the signage one of like, you are on camera, you are being recorded. Like, um, it is, it is very fascinating and, I just, a lot of these films, and this is where it gets me. I'm like, you had so many investors. They ha like, where are the consultants on this? 
like why didn't you like you had that amount of money like you had to have like whether it be like a nasa consultant like even from like just the designs and everything they got the rocket from the museum in florida that was actually in the credits so they they were able to like some of the components of the rocket that they used to get actually get into space towards the end of the film is like the shot for shot what is they shot inside the rocket but like i guess that's what just gets me it's not even just this film a lot of places don't just buy into consultants they're out there there are resources don't just write what you think you know right i i think the director just does what the director wants to do they hire the consultants and they ask the consultants how it would work right and then mm-hmm. they either either uh, incorporate some of that or completely ignore it as they see fit, right? I would never, ever sign up to be a consultant on a science fiction movie. It just seems like <laughs> it would be the worst kind of frustration. Tim, my moment of, of uh, <clears throat> realizing it was going to be a shit show was about um, maybe 30 seconds after yours because it was <laughs> when he opens the airlock inward against pressure right? He opens, he pushes the airlock door in when there is, I'm going to guess, five pounds per square inch of uh, pressure, somewhere between five and 15 pounds per square inch of pressure inside the airlock, which is how pressure works inside uh, ISS or um, uh, STS. But like, no, I mean, you know, that was a meter diameter hatch, right? That was uh, tens of thousands of pounds of force. And you can tell that it was pressurized because it shows the like the air blowing out at him. Well, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. The air is immediately blowing out. Like <laughs> airlocks don't work at all that way. And uh, yeah, so that was my moment where it's like, okay, he ignored the technical advisors. It's gonna be it's gonna be that great. Right. He's like, it, it would make for a cooler shot if air blows out the airlock. Okay, well there you go. I kind of going along with that that same scene where he he rushes in and the the shuttle is like ex- like turning you know, turning, turning, mm-hmm. turning, turning, turning. Mm-hmm. And um, Halle Berry's character was basically knocked out, right? In the turning. He gets in there. Conveniently knocked out, yes. Because mm-hmm. the plot demanded Kid, right. it. And my question is, he didn't turn with it? Like, and this is where my science is like, would he not... Like, I know inertia is thing, and they turn space stations to keep it warm and everything. And then, you know, obviously with cars, it's not like we're getting flung everywhere. But, like, he... I guess... It, does that would that actually be a reality? What like he was able to just gently float in, turn the sensors around, and then like gently go over her and be like, ah, like wake up, wake up, like. Ha-. I guess that's my question: is like, is that real? Would that is that realistic or convenient? Yeah, no. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, the, with, with how, with how right? fast like, with how fast it was spinning, um, right. right? Like, like it's spinning fast, right? So like, even, you know, even if you imagine yourself, like, um, like if you ever spun out a car on black ice, um, like I've, I've done this, um, right. you you feel it, right. You're sort of thrown to one side. Um, and it's, you know, depending on how fast you're spinning, it's, it's hard to kind of keep control and, and, and lean back into the, to the center of the car and whatever else. And so this is the space shuttle where it's a lot bigger. It's spinning fast. Um, right. It's at least what's shown on screen. And uh-huh. so fast enough to knock, Halle Berry into the side of something, it's still spinning. And so like at some point he, it just sort of stops affecting him and he's just sort of floating on through um, as the space shuttle is like spinning, spinning around him. Um, Uh, I reacted more to his manually firing the RCS um, that there's individual valves. I mean, there's whatever it is, 24, 
think it's 24 thrusters on the RCS system on a shuttle. And to, and to work those, you can't, there's no manual. This isn't a, this isn't like an organ at church where you can manually grab the handles and pull the things and, and have sound come out. Uh, you know, you would have to, pro there's probably four thrusters that you would have to fire simultaneously um, to correctly de to to take out the rotation of an axis, which is why it's all computer controlled, right? It's you all can't, computer controlled, but all the computers yeah. are down. All the power is off. Right. Uh, all right. the power is off on the space shuttle throughout the entire deorbit and landing. Right. right. Like he's, they say, they say like, yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's the right. only person to ever, ever land a space shuttle without power. Um, which of course is, is entirely impossible. But he's the goat. He he was outside the ship yeah. when something bad happened, right? Like we can all agree, everyone on Earth agrees. He was outside doing an EVA. Something bad happened to the ship. He managed to get back into the ship. He managed to deorbit the vehicle. But somehow he's the disgraced failure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. He, right. He's, he's At ten this, years. Like, yeah. yeah, and his this wife divorces him, and his yeah. kid hates him, and oh my gosh! Right, I mean, he should be, he should be like he should be like like Sully, right? Like Sully Sullenberger, <laughs> yeah, right? right? Like right to be able to be able to deorbit, right? Figure out you know still manually controlling all the valves and and whatever else that he can magically figure out how to do to get the right trajectory to re-enter the Earth's atmosphere, all the right angles um, to find his way back to Florida uh, all, all without any computers, without any guidance systems, without any of this stuff, without any hydraulic power to control the flaps uh, on, on the orbiter, uh, uh, any of that stuff. Um, so like, it's amazing. Like if someone were to actually do this, right, they would be hailed as a, as a complete hero. You know, who even more than Sully um, to, to pick an example from your neck of uh, America, Al Haynes, who uh, sort of kind of landed that DC 10 in Sioux city, Iowa. Right? Oh. Um, that was a, that was essentially, <laughs> was essentially a dead stick landing of a DC 10 mm -hmm. with all the hydraulic systems out. Not everybody survived, but um, more than zero people survived, which is how it would have ha would happened with basically anybody else. But yeah, I mean, it would have been a huge hero. He would have been a huge hero. And there's no way, even if he had said there were little green men or whatever, or said there were, you know, space uh saw a monster on the wing Twilight yeah Earth. right whatever they would have just said oh it was the stress of the situation he's still a hero right it's no way would they have made him out to have been a bad guy like if he had been in the cockpit like there's a way you could have shot that scene where it could have been ambiguous as to whether he caused a problem or not but he's out he's out doing an eva so whatever and I, and this may be like just even watching a lot of like the earlier documentaries on astronauts and everything. I really feel like our government doesn't do a good job, obviously, with our veterans and everything, but they do try to take care of the astronauts, especially when they come back. So, a lot like whether it be physical or mental health, like they would have taken care of him in that respect. And they wouldn't, if they, if they truly did not believe his story, they would not have put him on a national stage to be ripped apart. Um, or he and would not have been in. Yeah. Right. And the thing they thought it was, was a solar flare. 
right? Like they they mm-hmm. go they go into enough they go into enough detail to could it have been a solar flare? And that horrible horrible Haley Berry said, yeah, well, it could have been a solar flare. <laughs> oh my god! And that we're was not gonna it. Ask and that was it. Anybody else? We're not going to ask any scientists. We're not going to like check no. like you know solar weather from that was day. Was there a which, solar like, flare? Yeah, like right. we actually it's actually we really have easy to find out stuff. if it's a solar flare, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I can go. I can go to a web page right now and tell you like what's what the what the sun is doing right now, um, and what the prediction is for solar flares and the likelihood of aurora in different parts of the Earth. So like, it's not not a surprise. Yeah, and you know, speaking speaking to like Halle Berry and his and his relationship, it and and like the feeling of of like this movie was just rushed like there was so much that we the viewer could have missed and um and i don't know if that is just a trend of the director just looking back at like what he's done with like 10 days after he does these big timelines right um basically at the beginning they have that scene where like oh you were at my wedding we have this fun song blah 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 traumatic event fast forward 10 years later um, there's, there's nothing really, there was not a conversation between the two of them to be like, oh my God, we both just went through something traumatic. What did you see? Um, that didn't exist. It just fast forwarded him to basically him being ostracized and, and Halle Berry being like, yeah, I guess it was a solar flare. And then, then when they reunite, it's like, why didn't you trust me? I would have liked to have seen like a post-traumatic just scene of them either falling out over it, like, like, you know, everything pulling to a point where he's like, why don't you believe me? And she's like, well, I can't. Um, as a viewer, I would have liked to, to see something that would have helped me so, with the progression of the story better. Sure. Some sort of uh, evolution of their relationship rather than semi-random, you know, again, this is the bad DM, right? This is the, yeah. we're, 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 we're <laughs> under the cruel auspices of a bad DM. So so Tim usually in these podcasts sort of hangs the plot off as we as we go <laughs> to give our listeners a little bit of a chance because I think the three of us could just pick the Gonzo moments throughout this whole thing. But Tim, do you want to do that thing that you do where you uh, tee us I'll, up? I'll, I'll try. I'll try. I haven't seen it. Do the thing. Oh yeah. Okay. So I think we've described the opening opening scene uh, uh, pretty well. Uh, other, you know, yeah. Uh, doing a spacewalk, uh, dancing to Toto's Africa, uh, something flies out of the darkness and um, uh, kills the other spacewalker and uh, spins well, sends up, him, sends, sends breaks him, his tether and sends yeah, him off sends into him space off and, and, and um, Yeah, so that's bad. Um, we talked about getting, getting uh, back home somehow um, and this ridiculously, like, I guess underplayed um inquest um right we see basically a room with four people in it uh it's and this it's could be he, your covid yeah. thing shane right this could be yeah. your covid's influence because yeah they shot the scene with three people mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's like mm-hmm. yeah it's Berry, it's patrick wilson and then there's like the director of nasa or somebody and maybe one other person in the room where like um like even in even in other movies where something like this happens, right? And and in reality, right? This this would be an inquest in front of a panel, in front of Congress, right? In front of a subcommittee, right? You know, these are these are the kinds of of of, of inquests, right? You see in like, uh, um, uh, what's the movie of, the, of uh, From the Earth to the Moon? There's a really great scene uh, after the Apollo One fire where it's like an inquest in front of a subcommittee in Congress, mm-hmm. uh, right? And it makes for good film too. So so yeah, I think I think. There's this whole progression that we missed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That could have introduced uh, more of the military characters too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Someone, some shadowy military character could have been there to like, you know, 
foreshadows or, or they're covering something up or whatever. Digitally <laughs> or, de- or Sutherland just yeah. coming out. I was going like- to say, a digitally de-aged Donald Sutherland a la uh, Robert De Niro from the, the uh, what's it called, the, the movie that he did recently, the, oh, the Scorsese film. Uh, the Irishman. The Irishman, oh, yeah. That yes. was a good film. I enjoyed yeah. that film. Yeah. It was, uh, but he looked creepy de-aged, right? He yeah. did, yeah. It was an uncanny valley kind of thing. So, so, uh, yeah. So he's disgraced. His wife leaves him. His son uh, went from loving him to hating him. Uh, to be, <sighs> There's yeah, a to lot like a, a delinquents and like stealing cars or whatever. Yeah, this movie. Emmerich stole a lot from himself, right? He stole a lot from 2012 in this, right? Uh, Cusack's character is divorced. Uh, his super hot ex-wife has a nebbish new husband uh, who turns out to be an okay guy. Um, his kid, you know, he's got a poor relationship. His kids don't respect him. Uh, he's only got one kid. But there, there's a lot of beats in this that have a lot in common with 2012. Right? You know what I just realized that they made a big deal out of, but there was no, like, payoff was uh, Luke's car, his his character's car. There were so many scenes where he was working on that darn car. Like, that was the whole reason right. his son went joyriding. <laughs> and then, like, when shit hit the fan, literally, I would have loved to have seen that car, like, show up multiple times in the film. And, like, to the point right. where his son takes the car, like, you know, uh, across the country to try and, like, save everyone. But... Tim, when son, yes, wasn't it wasn't well it wasn't a Lexus um right which is right. which is the stepdad's uh thing is is the Lexus which was then featured heavily uh later on when they get to to Colorado mm-hmm. right. it would have been nice to see the Mustang leapfrog across uh zero gravity <laughs> debris in uh Colorado right yeah. wouldn't that yeah. have been nice instead of the yeah. Lexus no I just feel like nope. everyone was rolling nat 20s like they had their way to die like literally across this entire film Pretty, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. So it's 10 years later. Uh, right. The son's just still in the car, goes to jail. Um, we uh, are introduced to um, the, the the son's now uh, uh, stepdad, played by the amazing Michael Pena, uh, although could have been played entirely differently by Stanley Tucci. I love Michael Pena know. in this. I think he's great. He's a, yeah, <laughs> Michael, he, I mean, it's, yeah. it's a good sub, Suzu, yeah. for sure. Uh, he's also uh, in <laughs> a much, much, much better film called The Martian. <laughs> yes. You know Talk about uh, a sci-fi staple. But yeah, Pena is great in everything that he does. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. Um, let's see Even here. He plays a Lexus car dealer. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's great. So, um, and then, uh, of course, our, our other main character gets introduced at this point, uh, who is uh, played by John Bradley. Uh, formerly known as uh, Samuel Tarley from Game of Thrones. And he is uh, an amazing conspiracy theorist who has uh, discovered that his his conspiracy theory turns out is right, uh, which is that uh, the moon is changing its orbit. And he's the only he's the only one. He's the voice in the wilderness who, who's the only one who knows this. Although it turns out the government knew it, too. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 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 Uh, that also made me laugh. <laughs> that that whole progression of them trying mm-hmm. to keep, and then he's like, "You're the source, right? We could have kept it quiet, but for you, you meddling troublemaker kid." 
So the um, the scene I like I love uh, hate the scene where um, where Halle Berry strides into Johnson Space Center Mission Control and and is told this secret that the that the Earth's moon is changing its orbits because um, it it highlights for me one of the other uh, one of the many things uh, about about NASA that like I guess on the one hand is just terrible storytelling but also on the other hand it's kind of like a um, almost like a like a public understanding that's not really how NASA works. Uh, right. So NASA is sort of treated as this monolithic, uh, place, right? So everything's happening at Johnson Space Center. It's like the center of, of NASA. It's where all the decisions are made. It's where the director of NASA is. It's where they're like allegedly controlling the lunar reconnaissance orbiter and all this stuff. Um, NASA is a, is a big, big government entity, right? It has many centers around the United States. Um, it has a headquarters, which is actually where the director NASA, like, you know, actually is um, in Washington D.C. Uh, the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter uh, is uh, is run by a different site, which is I think it's run from um, it is run from Goddard Space Flight Center, uh, mm-hmm. which is um, not Johnson Space Center. Uh, and and so it's like yeah, it's this whole thing of like NASA being portrayed as like one group that is capable of carrying off conspiracies and controlling this whole thing and, and everything else, which is hilarious. And, and that there's only one mission control. Right. I will say as a former government employee, like the one thing our government really does well is like super compartmentalization. Like to your point, Tim, like I'm sure NASA also has, you know, like liaisons throughout the world. And um, if I remember when I first started kind of looking into NASA there, I think there, NASA has more employees than the FBI. Um, like there's a close to a hundred thousand employees with it. Like in, uh, in Wikipedia com- says 19, 18,000. Okay. Um, then I'm way off, but, uh, that is still a lot. And that's a lot more than the 20 that are in that room. And, yeah, that I would I definitely agree that the way that she walks into that room and the way that information is shared, that is not something like you, your person walks in the room and you turn around and you shout information at them like that. I don't know. She probably would have known before she walked, like realistically, there would have been a phone call. There would have been something, not just her walking into a room, but that, like you said, might've just been like lazy writing or something, but. Yeah, yeah. there's, there's a weird, Yeah. <laughs> Again, the, yeah. the, the narrator, you know, the, the, they're making it up, the rules as they go along, right? What what the public knows and what they don't know and what they share and what they don't share. The military's got their secret plan and it's all just, it's just such a crazy jumble. Um, my mo- I had another moment in that scene. Uh, I had another moment of, oh, shit, this is going to be a very difficult two hours and ten minutes. By the way, a long film. Right? Oh, yeah. Two hours and ten minutes is a long That's a long film. film. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he says the moon is is going into an elliptical orbit, um, which okay, every object is in an elliptical orbit to one extent or another. But what he shows is not an elliptical orbit at all. Um, <laughs> it's um, a sort of a spiraling down the drain. It's that's not a that's not a any kind of a regular orbit. That's a that's something that's under a continued thrust, I guess. Um, I mean the whole. Th- I mean this is again. There's a whole thing about. Uh, 
how, why is the moon moving the way that it is that makes no sense at all, right? Like, if you believe, later on, we've, we've, there's an argument as to why the moon is moving the way that it is, but it's either, it's either being controlled by good guys, or not good guys, but un, under a, it's either being controlled by a benign force, or that force is being essentially locked out of controls of the moon, right? Mm-hmm. Either way, it's not going to produce a spiraling down the drain uh, image, right? And then at one point they show Mer- Mercrisium, uh, they show gas coming out of it, but Mercrisium is on the near side or, or near the ed- near the terminator of the moon, but it's not on the far side of the moon. So you wouldn't, if, if, if they were arguing that somehow the moon was expelling gas to change its orbit, um, expelling gas, uh, Oh, I guess it could be on the leading edge. I don't know if it was the leading edge work. of the growing of the moon. Does it depend on where we're at the time of the year that it could? No, because the moon always keeps the same face pointed towards us. So if it's on the edge of the moon that's moving with the moon uh, in the or I don't know. Who cares? I guess. Okay. Some if, you're, but, if, you're, if you're listening the, to this the, the and, is, and you've modeled this, is, please, please email us. Yeah. Uh, the, the point is, there's two. Op- there's, there's, there, they say later that the moon has two operating modes, right? One is it's under the influence of a b- benign force, or or that force is being essentially locked out uh, or starved of power, right? In neither case would it do a spiraling down the drain, right? Although so I don't, later, I don't later in the movie, uh, um, Samuel Tarley points out that uh, the moon's mass is increasing. Oh God, that was the fourth moment. <laughs> yeah, he's like, your math is wrong. <laughs> your math is wrong because the mass is increasing. Obviously, that's the only thing that can happen. I love that because he grabs the monitor; it's on the ground. And he's like, "Wait, is that your screen?" Yes, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yes. Oh my God, the computer is falling off, and, and is yeah, still somehow running and connected to the computer. Oh. Side note: out of this whole film, he is definitely my favorite actor. I think okay. he played his lines way better than any of the other characters. Oh yeah, like. Yeah. I don't he know. I also really he committed to it. It's true. Yeah, I, I believed him as a nerd. As a and his, I think he was the, honestly, I will, I will say, I think he's the best part of the movie because like, that was like the one comedic beat in his story. Yeah. He could probably could have had a little bit more, but like he was the most believable out of everything. He was the most, the, the most human character. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yes. Like, like, like you're saying earlier about there's no, um, there's no like really heartfelt discussion between um, between Halle Berry and Patrick Wilson. Like they're just not they're not like humans in this. They're just characters. Uh, and yeah, they're just plot, they're just plot motive, devices, right? They're Almost plot like archetypes. Devices. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and they actually give him a tragic backstory, like the stuff with his mom is just yeah, like from yeah. a very different film. Like, yeah. Uh, and let's also throw in parental dementia. Let's put his mom in a memory unit, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Which, for those of us who have had family members in memory care units. Um, it's like, really, 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 that's what yeah. you want to do that's at this point in this movie, in this yeah, ridiculous, that's... silly movie, you're going to introduce a serious, uh, plot point like that. Yep. It would be as if like, uh, John Cusack's character, uh, had lost one of his kids to like infantile, you know, like, uh, pediatric cancer. Right. And you're like, um, also, uh, you know, let's throw in uh, pediatric cancer to this plot. It would be like, what? 
Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's the controlling DM that you were talking about. Like there's like, Oh, we have all this archetype, this archetype. Oh, this is our happy go lucky character. He's got to have a rough back ending or back, mm-hmm. uh, backstory, but yeah. So, uh, okay. So we figured out that the, the moon is, is falling out of the sky. Um, we need to send, we need to send people to the moon. Uh, NASA, once can again, we, this month. Can we send some red shirts, Tim? Yeah, yeah. Let's send. Let's go send some red shirts. Let's send some even better European red shirts uh, to the moon. Um, European and, China and Asian, I think. Right? I wish they would have. I yeah. wish they would have put them in red shirts. That at least yeah. would have been like a fun homage. I feel like so, I feel like Emmerich is is aware enough that he could have put them in red shirts, and the fact that he didn't is really a miss. It's a. Uh, yeah, may as well. So this is this is another. Uh, uh, I don't know uh, how do how do rockets work? How do how do rockets interact with one another? So they take a European lunar module thing uh, yes. that that the European Space Agency happens to have lying around and ready for flights. They stick it on top of the uh, SLS, the Space Launch System Block 1, um, which uh, is, in fact, a, a vehicle that exists and um, recently took a took a spacecraft around the moon. Um, so that much is at least sort of mostly okay. But the, you know, the idea of the, of the you know, European-designed um, capsule being able to just plop it right on top, like their Lego bricks, uh, on top of uh, the NASA-made Space Launch System, a um, little questionable. Uh, but that's fine. It gets them to the moon, and they. Uh, oh God! Um, so Did it get, get the, them to the moon? It gets them to the moon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They go they into the. Tunnel. Oh right! No, you're right. You're right. They yeah. send a probe into the tunnel. Yeah, as they're hovering above above the surface of Mari Crisium, and drop straight down a probe down into uh, into this into the depths of, of Mari Crisium. Instead of you know like orbiting the moon as a as a spacecraft does, um, instead of you know taking a nice like slow descent towards the surface of the moon like on an angle like you would actually uh, land, uh, but whatever. Um, and as soon as this thing drops into the crater, uh, then everybody dies. Right. The, the creature, the creature, which is a swarm of little nanobots, comes out and kills them all horribly. Yeah, and you're yeah, right. Yeah, that's pretty graphic you're... too. Like it was, yeah. it kind of reminded me of, um, oh gosh, is it Silent Hill? Did you guys ever watch Silent Hill? I saw the movie. Yeah, at the very end, like there's all the thorns and briars, and they take out right. the the nun. That's exactly what that reminded me of, and I was like, oh god, that's a horrible. Horrible way to go. Yeah, it also reminded me a little bit of uh, Life, which was a which was a fun little B grade sci fi film that came and went. That was uh, uh, it was pretty good actually. I don't know if you guys saw that. We should we should. Oh, it'd be fun to. You haven't seen Life, have you, Tim? That might be a good future film for us. Tim, as Tim so. goes, look it up. Yeah. I'm looking, I'm looking <laughs> it up. He's like, ah. Oh. No, I have not seen this. Yeah, uh, it's actually Dick, it's actually Dylan Hall and Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. What? What year uh-huh. did, it, did that come out? 2017. Uh That's Rebecca like Ferguson era. as well. Oh my gosh. Okay. It is it is a fun little film. I I would let's um I I would be supportive of having that be a okay. coming film. All right. Cool. Put it on so, the list. Yeah. Put it on the list. Okay. Um, so, and of course, so, yeah. the, so the red shirts die, and yep. uh, now 
uh, sort of all hope is lost, except for maybe the military nuking something. Does anybody know what the military was planning on nuking? The moon. I think the moon. <laughs> I think they were going to send something into the trench. They never exactly said, but like, I remember one of the screens when they were putting in their keys, I think was like had some sort of location, like the black and green location, but I don't think they yeah, verbally it, said a location. They, they said, <laughs> if we can destroy this thing, the moon might return to its orbit, <laughs> which it's like, were they, uh, how? I, and then later, I, later they say something like we have to be within 18,000 miles of it or some, some nonsense number. And then that's the as far that, as yeah, their nukes can go. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah, they're ICBMs. Yeah. They're not, they're not, on, they, they use the only uh, they use the only space launch system rocket, um, which is which is true at the time. There's only one that existed and, and actually is still true today. Um, so yeah, they're, they're stuck with send, wait wait wait. If you wanted to send a nuke to the moon, are you saying that you couldn't put a payload on top of a Titan or an Atlas or a Delta and uh, and launch it on a with an upper stage that would take it to the moon? I'm quite confident you could. you'd have to have I, an upper stage. Yeah. Okay, but here's the thing. And this, they mentioned SpaceX three times in yeah. this movie. <laughs> talk, so about, like, talk about a dated reference. I know. So they talked, but here's the thing. They were, you know, they were pulling from the Europeans and they got together and then everything. I was, I was secretly hoping there would be like an Elon Musk, like cameo. Cause I'm like, that would be just like the cherry on top of everything. <laughs> and if they needed that, something like that, like to do a payload like that, I'm like, that's something I could be like, SpaceX to the rescue. I was I was kind of expecting that yeah, time totally that missed opportunity. To like uh, what the heck, dude? Like yeah. I mean, yeah, Sammy 2022 says I yeah. love Elon. <laughs> he does. They use, he, right. He's they like use my a, boy. Yeah. They do they use a they use a SpaceX refueling depot um right yes. to get, to, get to the moon, yep. which is like one of one actually one of the realistic ish things about getting there. Um that, well, we'll we'll get to that part of the movie, but you know, yeah. semi-realistic. But you're right; like, there's no, there's no Falcon nines, right? You could, like, I think to Tola's question, like, you could put you could put a nuke on top of a Falcon Heavy and probably get it to the moon or most of the way to the moon, especially as the moon is getting closer to the Earth. I just okay, so like maybe this is the the conspiracy theorist in me, but like the point at which like uh, there's that news was delivered and the director of NASA is like, well, now you're director. Um, I would like to believe that our government has their shit together enough, especially with all of like the secrets we all know that they hold because we know like presidents see certain documents once they become president, that there has to be like a, a plan Delta that's like, if moon were to blah, blah, blah. And like all of these contacts, <laughs> Because we do so much work with other countries and vice versa, or it's not just about America. There could have been like X country Ecuador coming into the scene to be like, haha, we have the secret program. Like they wouldn't just be like nuking America. Yeah. Like, uh, but, but Shane, budget constraints. I, yeah, COVID. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they knew that the, there was this thing from the moon, right? They knew yeah. enough that they developed a military program to deal with it, right? that there's probably some sort of alien high tech coming from the moon. Uh, but then they had to cut it, you see, because of budget constraints. Yeah, yep. budget constraints. Because, yeah. Uh, budget. Well, the military, I mean, the military doesn't want to spend too much of the money, right? So they, right. they want to be good stewards of your tax dollars. So they probably <sighs> just decided that, you know, 
actually, it's, it's believable that they would choose to spend money on a project from, you know, West West Virginia rather than a yeah, anyhow. Yeah. The but, one but, the one thing that is kind of realistic to me with the military is the fact that they would hunker down in a bunker like the one in Colorado. But like right. everything else where it's like abandoned East stations and it's everyone for themselves, that to me like I have enough faith in our in our government that that necessarily wouldn't happen. Um I don't know. I don't know. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like I, as, as Tola was alluding to earlier, like I, I, I grew up in, in Omaha, Nebraska and have, you know, toured the like strategic <clears throat> air command and, you know, all those places where it's like, you know, here's, here's where we go when we're under attack. Like we go underground and mm-hmm. we control everything from there. Like that's, mm-hmm. you know, that seems, that's pretty legit. And, and, you know, filmmakers love, love to show Cheyenne mountain in Colorado uh, as, as like this like fortress stronghold because it's cool. Right, going back to like war games and and, and movies like that. Right. It makes Although Everett himself films. had the Everett himself had the aliens wipe out Cheyenne Mountain in uh, Independence Day, pretty quickly. <laughs> right. Like it's yeah. one of the first places yeah. the aliens go to because that was so much smarter of a movie than this movie. Oh, that's yes. interesting. Yeah, because that I one was on the studio once. Yeah. Huh. The studio gave him notes, uh, and and this one, uh, yeah, he had carte blanche. Um, so, so right after they the astronauts were pulled terribly apart by this nanobot, what happened next? Um, so, so this is this is where um, Halle Berry uh, goes and, and and gets you know appointed director of NASA gets to go find uh, the one person who's been able to land uh, who's been able to dead stick the shuttle. Yeah, um, she finds out about the uh, the cover up. Uh, does does the thing in the basement um, where she briefly meets Donald, Donald Sutherland, um, who uh, gives a bit of exposition and then goes and offs himself because apparently he's been waiting in a basement with this information for <laughs> Just creaks in the wheelchair since, and then since Apollo eleven. The same way. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so so right. So we learned that uh, there was a, a radio blackout during Apollo Eleven that was caused by discovering these these things. Uh, later on, Apollo Twelve, they NASA finds out that the moon is in fact hollow, and then manages to cover all these things up. Um, since then, uh, meanwhile, building this weapon to to fight back against these aliens uh, that then uh, yeah gets gets cut because of budget cuts. And and yeah, I, I think the budget cuts is is great because it's like you just have to imagine that there's you know some some lobbying group who works for Raytheon who's you know goes in front of Congress every year and says like hey we need another five hundred million dollars for for the thing that's going to keep the space space aliens inside the moon from from attacking us um, <laughs> at, like every you know you, you can see that coming up every budget cycle. <laughs> Uh, but by the way, by the way, I have I, I, I can say one thing that I think was really, really good from the Trump administration, which is I'm now quite confident that if America does have any really, really juicy secrets, they don't share them with the president of the United States. Like okay, if, if in fact we fair. have if we have alien corpses in Roswell, they don't share that information with the president. <laughs> would have shown or what up if, like, they did share it with him and they did a test run and then they met and blacked him 
Like that technology exists. They're like, okay, no, 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 no. Just him. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, the dry run did not go well. No, no, it did not. Give him a give him a fake phone and uh, watch him watch him watch him think that he's posting it to Twitter and be like, all right, guess what? What was that crazy word? But also, what was that crazy word that he used? yeah that's probably the name of the alien corpses in roswell oh my gosh yeah. oh my gosh oh, that yeah. was it we don't tell them any more of the secrets uh, yep. 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 so okay. so at this point when when he when she's like wrangling everyone um our our guy, um, oh gosh, I forget his real name. See, I've already forgotten the actual, uh, the main lead, the main male lead. Is he is he digging through the papers trying to? Because there was that scene where yeah, I feel like that's like because he he wants to go find Casey Houseman, right? He wants yeah. to go find Sam Turley. I don't know why he feels like he needs to find Sam Turley at this point. Like, like they, even, they if, even if Sam Turley was right, right? Okay. Okay, but there's a there's a bigger problem, which is that the moon is coming at the Earth now. He also right. goes back and works on his car for a little bit at that point, yeah. which I think yeah, is very. Yeah, he's got to work on that car. That's yeah. why I was. That's why I was like, "There's no fire from that." It's like, okay, right. world is ending. He's like, "Well, right." Like, you know what it is? It's Chekhov's muscle car. If yeah. you show Chekhov's muscle car in the first act, you must use it by the third act. Nope. Nope. Tis never, rules, tis never, rules. never got around to putting that differential back together or whatever it was he was doing. Um. Yeah. Right, so so, goes, so she goes yeah. and she goes and gets him, brings him back to Vandenberg, and they're gonna fly a shuttle in Vandenberg. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. Right. Although let's, before before they even get there, right? So so he goes and finds. So Patrick Wilson goes and finds uh, Casey Houseman. Goes and finds Samuel Tarley, uh, who's who's giving a, a talk to a bunch of conspiracy theorists in a in a motel, um, in in L.A. somewhere. Um, my favorite thing about this motel. Is that the uh, the wallpaper in the motel has the same pattern as the floor of the Overlook Hotel from The Shining? Oh, really? How did yeah. I not catch that? That's such like, uh, like, uh, like, like. Why? Why is that even there? How <laughs> somebody... could this director care that much about his film? And I then... bet you that was a set director. I bet uh, you that was somebody yeah. who was a fan of The Shining that snuck that in there. Because it was pretty dark. It was a pretty dark shot. They didn't pop like the shiny did, where it was just like bright lights all the time. Yeah, yeah. That's it's interesting. Like, it's, un- wow. I mean, it's unmistakable that like yeah, red red hexagonal. Yeah, um, it's amazing. Oh, and what um, was it that that guy Gary said? He's like, I don't want to hear it, Gary. Oh, yeah. that there were <laughs> there were there were fields. There were green fields inside the mega structure. That's how they got all their food. And he's like, shut up, Gary. No one wants to hear your conspiracy theories. Yeah, and of yeah. course, and of course, right. Gary's right. Yeah. yeah, of course, of course, he is. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So so this is uh, when when they're in the motel together, uh, and and somehow uh, Patrick Wilson decides to believe Casey Houseman. Um, this is when the first like tsunami rolls in uh, and, and Roland Emmerich starts his destruction of the planet earth. Although it is the, it is the most benign tsunami you could ever <laughs> possibly imagine. All it does is it knocks over anyone who's on the first floor of the hotel. Yep. yep. Like really, really? That's I... your tsunami. <laughs> I just my second like oh shit moment with this movie was actually that scene where uh Samuel Tar- like Sam like freezes up 
And then slowly, you know, the waves come rushing in and everyone's like, come on. And then uh, he's like, I can't swim. And it's just like this very obvious, like, okay, well, I don't know. That moment seemed a little bit too cheesy for me. But uh, nonetheless, they do survive, I believe, just on the top of the hotel. And they they have a moment together. They survive. They have a moment. They just share a motel room. Um, yeah, take a nap while their clothes dry off, and then are woken up by a military helicopter and and people with guns and flashlights uh, right. who need to take them to Vandenberg. Um, and Sam Charlie gets to go because he asks to go. That was yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm well, sure in real life it would have been like, okay, here's what we want you to do. We want you to go get uh, what's his name Wilson. What's his first? Uh, Patrick Wilson. Patrick Wilson, mm-hmm. and kill everyone else who sees you, <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, it's like we need to uh, we need to minimize the information on this. So just uh, kill everybody else that you find, right? But but it's like no, I, w- I want to go too. All right, put him in the put him in the uh, in the helicopter too. Yep. Um, so on the way to Vandenberg, uh, they they need a, they need a ride, right? They need a way to get to the moon, and we've already used the only uh, the only moon landing capsule the Europeans had. The Americans don't have anything anymore. SpaceX can't help you uh and um why don't they come talk to blue origin somebody well i know um, like where are we in this i mean come on well and they realized that they can't have electronics that was the big thing they couldn't use anything new because that was what killed right that's when they have that epiphany right right because they they actually talk about their trauma for a bit and they and and so they realized that uh even though all the space shuttles have been retired there is one Right there in Los Angeles, the uh, um, space shuttle is the Endeavor, right? Um, that's yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, in, right. yeah. Endeavor is. I need to go visit this. Uh, I haven't haven't been since uh, since they moved it into the um, the museum. Which museum is it in? This is the one we wanted, right? But LA got it instead. We yeah, we wanted Seattle, it in Seattle. Seattle it. Um, we built we built a whole wing on the Museum of Flight for it. Um, but uh, but no no. California got it. I did really enjoy the scene where it was like the leaders being like, ah, money doesn't mean anything. What is it going to be? Toilet paper? And then they're trying to like get in their car and then they hear like the whole crew like bringing the endeavor from the (laughs) just like shoving cars out of the way. Right. Which was, I, uh, I like that the looters spray painted the uh, shuttle, but in no way interfered with its flight worthiness. Right, that is a no. that is a considerate group of leaders. Yeah. So so like, the, nobody the, the funny... go in really. No. Yeah. <laughs> like you go and ransack it. Maybe there's some like you know space food left inside. Yeah. Some astronaut ice cream. You might want to go get. Um. Wow. Yeah. So like. Nope. They just spray paint it. So the thing is, when you put a space shuttle, when you put a when you put a piece of of aerospace hardware in a museum um you have to take a lot of things out of it first in order to make it like safe to be around people um so like i don't i don't know exactly what's been taken out of uh endeavor um specifically but i'm gonna i'm gonna guess you know a lot of the tanks have been uh inerted or 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 emptied or removed um turns out some of the um the water tanks on board endeavor uh were, were taken out and sent up to the international space station and reused up there um, because we we do like to reuse and recycle in in aerospace, um, the engines um, engines might still be in there, but uh, yeah, it, it it's it's not the kind of thing you can just go and 
roll on out of the museum and fire up. Well, not not only that, but most uh, most vehicles like that, it's not even just that things have been pulled out of them. They have to explicitly be uh, made not flight worthy. So mm-hmm. my understanding is, for instance, most if not all of the SR seventy ones have their main spark cut through the fuselage. So that so that because, so that there'd be no chance that a bad guy could pull a James Bond and fly one of them uh, to you know North Korea. Um, yeah. My understanding is the Concorde that is at the Museum of Flight is still has its flight certification, so that you could you could hypothetically bring it back uh, to flight status. But very few of those uh, vehicles are that way. And I would be very surprised if they didn't do the same thing to a tunnel, that they didn't cut some, some primary structure piece that would make it impossible to fly again. I mean, but, even if the basic stuff was taken out, there's no way that they would have been able to get it flight worthy in the timeline that the, the movie gave them because <laughs> what it was coming closer and they had, they went from like, Oh, it'll happen in like a, a, a four weeks to like, a couple of days, 48, 48 hours. Minutes, 28 what, minutes. At one point, they're like, uh, I've done the calculations, and uh, you guys have to lift off within 28 minutes. And this is the point where, uh, so Tim and I do not in this podcast generally talk about our day job um, because our employers, you know, yeah. prefer it that way. But I just have to say, 28 minutes. I'm just going to say, that is an exceedingly <laughs> aggressive timeline. And I will just, that's Without all I'll say a crew? Without a, without a without a ground right without the ground crew. crew the ground crew's gone right, away right, right, right I mean I think that's fair to say anyway even even today's like normal planes unless you were like in a Cessna without like I don't know I think that would still right. be really hard although that guy right that guy stole the airplane at SeaTac uh, right and took off with an airplane oh, uh, all yeah, by himself he did. however. Uh, spacecraft are not like airplanes, and uh, in the industry, you have this thing called ground support equipment, and it's in, it's its own entire branch of a company <laughs> because there's mm-hmm. so much ground support equipment that you have to have working correctly. And uh, cryogens, just to pick a topic, um, you know, the shuttle uses cryogens. So uh, if you've got cryogen, you don't put cryogen fuel on board until right before you go to fly, and you know you have cryogens on board because you'll have uh, gas you know, sort of uh, condensed uh, cold gases coming off the vehicle. There were no cryogens on board that vehicle. And uh, it takes a really long time to load up cryogens on a vehicle because you have to chill everything. You can't just put liquid oxygen into a room temperature tank or it all just boils off, right? So this whole thing, I mean, it's just completely, utterly insane to say that you're going to fly in 28 minutes. Like, even if even if you could rush some guys in, even if one of your guys wasn't sitting on the phone uh, talking with his with his spacesuit open right before they're supposed to go into the vehicle. Even aside from all those things, like you couldn't if if the universe's life depended on it, you couldn't get a spacecraft running from inert to ready to fly in less than I'm just going to pick a number here, 24 hours, right? Um, yeah, 20, I, I would I would I would go so far as to say, I'd say uh, if I had infinite resources, could maybe make it work in about a month. To go from like <laughs> mothballed in a museum, museum to yeah. to like actually lift lifting off, um, right? Well, the transport the, alone, yeah. the transport of the vehicle from getting like going into the museum, yep. Because it's not like it's not in a warehouse. 
it's probably on like i think it was like actually on display with all the things mm-hmm. right. to being it loaded up to taking it to whatever site like that is like a day and a half probably and earth is undergoing gravity waves in addition oh, yeah. to everything else well that's gonna help that's just, that's just gonna help uh, it's gonna expedite the job guys <laughs> i mean come on <laughs> yeah um yeah uh boy um so can we just get to the part where okay. they take off from vandenberg oh yeah the <laughs> and then they get so a- they're gonna yeah they've got a plan i guess we should talk about the plan such as it is yeah right? they know that they can't have electronics so they there's one there's one thing left over from whatever program that was shut down that they're putting in and it's like a it's a drogue or a a drone. A rover. Gonna, I think it's a rover. rover. A rover. Yeah. So they've got an EMP, um, yes, right? Um, which will take out, take that out. Um, the uh, the Chinese government, uh, Chinese space agency, provides a, a just to be clear. A hold on, lander. hold on, hold on, hold mm-hmm. on. They have an EMP that will take out the the malevolent entity that is in uh, fractal pieces, right? And it'll take out the entire thing. They know that it will take out all of it everywhere somehow. Yep. It's okay. Yep. Sorry, just making the absurd. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I guess we haven't even co- covered what um, what Sam's um, like whole theory is. Other like, what is a metastructure? Like, I had to like look it up too. So I don't know if we want to explain that real quickly to the audience. Like, what is that theory? It came out in two thousand seven. I saw. I did a little googling. The mega, it oh, came, the mega, mega like, structure. Who made the mood? Yeah, who, oh, who, who made, made the, the moon? moon is yeah. yeah. So the theory is that somebody else, future, past generations, and alien technology, whatever, harness the power of the universe in a white white dwarf. That was then, what they said. Yep, yep. And built a structure around it. Yep. And then on top of that structure is basically Earth. That is like an insulator. Um. And so the the theory is that this Sam character is, is building off of, and he keeps saying and reminding everyone is that the alien is siphoning the power from the dwarf, and that's what's making it do all the wonkiness. The so, evil alien is the evil yes. alien. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, so an actual <laughs> Dyson sphere. Uh, the thing that I've this that has an element of truth is there's a this idea that you could have a Dyson sphere to capture all the solar energy around a star, right? If you had a sphere this that's the Earth's diameter uh, from the sun, you could capture all the solar energy. I've never actually liked Dyson spheres because you have to turn them to have gravity, and so you wouldn't have gravity at the axles of it, right? And you'd have super high gravity at the midline. I've never I, – I always thought Dyson spheres were a weird – Concept. I always thought Niven was smart to go straight to an annulus, right? Where you could have yeah, the ring, ring world. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyhow, so there's a thing called a Dyson sphere, but does anybody, Shane, you may, it sounds like you know more about this than I do. Is there anybody that actually thinks the moon is possibly a, a, a construct? Is that? Is, well, uh, the dude who wrote the book, who built the moon, uh, Christopher Knight, I need to see if this is actually. I thought Everett pulled all this out of his butthole. This is like a thing that some people actually believe that the moon yes, is a construct. It's an, it's an actual oh conspiracy my theory. God, that's great. It's yeah. like the people believe the Earth is so flat. So that's yep. No, one hundred percent is it's an actual theory. The book was published in two thousand seven. Um, 
their persuasive. So this is like, this is the persuasive conclusion of this theory. If higher life only developed on earth because the moon is exactly what it is and where it is, it becomes unreasonable to cling to the idea that, that the moon is a natural object. Um, so that came out in 2007 by a Christopher Knight and an Alan Butler. Um, so they and this, believe- yeah, they believe aliens created the moon and Roland Emmerich, the director reading, he must've read this book at some point that idea inspired this movie. So that's, um, there's one element of this that I find interesting. So there's this, uh, book that, uh, uh, called, what is it? Lonely earth or rare earth. There's, there's this theory that's been kicked around for a while that earth might be very rare in the galaxy. And Tim and I have talked about it before because people do all sorts of weird theological things around it, right? Religious mm-hmm. people tend to use it as an argument for why we might be the singular, you know, example of God's handiwork in the universe or whatever. But, um, but it, it, it speculates amongst its arguments is the idea that it, you might require significant tides to move life from um, the ocean to land, right? That if you don't have Mm -hmm. littoral regions, you don't get uh, amphibians. And if you don't get amphibians, you don't get terrestrial life. It's all just so speculative. And it requires Mm -hmm. you to, you know, take a dozen suppositions about how life forms and and believe all of them. And if you say, well, all 12 of these things have to happen, then life on Earth can be really rare. But it is, I mean, it is a theory that is out there, yeah, rare rare earth by uh, Peter Ward and Donald Brownlee. Um, yeah, it was a big it was a big deal. I remember when it when it came out in, in uh, around the year two thousand or so. Because um, you and I yeah. argued about this uh, this concept fifteen twenty years ago, Tim. Yes, but not that we're older or anything, but <laughs> yeah. Just going back to uh, I'm looking at the the Amazon purchase for it. That apparently they also came out with Civilization One. And they're bringing new evidence about the moon that will shake up our world. Um, basically, okay. they found new information that uh, can a consistent sequence of integer numbers that can apply to every major aspect of the moon. No such pattern emerges for any other planet or moon in the solar system. In addition, Knight and Butler discovered that the moon possesses few or no heavy metals and has no core, something that should not be possible. And then the persuasive conclusion is the only higher life, blah, 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 what I said earlier. Oh, I so love, that they, put, I yeah, love that they put numerology in there. That just yes. makes it extra yes. special. That yeah. integers, special integers associated with those. That's always the sign of a great scientific theory is you, you put some integers together that shouldn't make, that shouldn't work together. Well, and I guess I, I personally, like, I haven't looked too much into the moon and I can't honestly remember too much in the way of what makes up the moon. I guess in my brain, I was like, oh, it's just this big rock that follows us like a big asteroid. But then there's all these other theories that it was a planet at some point. And I don't know, between the two of you, do you guys know of like the science out there that has definitely determined that there's no core on the moon? Like, well, they, first of all, they haven't definitely figured out exactly how the moon got how the moon formed. Yeah, right. Uh, okay, cool. You know, there's there's a this there was Thera um, this theory that there was a Mars-sized body that slammed into the Earth and spun out uh, a bunch of junk that, that eventually that eventually formed into the moon. But they mm-hmm. don't they don't know for sure. It's still they're they're still trying to figure it out, right? It's uh, yeah. But there's nothing yeah, there's... particularly weird about the moon, right? There's nothing about the no. moon that's like. Oh my gosh, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and, and with some, I mean, some of the cool like scientific discoveries from the Apollo missions um, helps helps to really um, understand, you know, what is what is the moon made out of, right? Because brought back 
you know, um, samples of, of lunar regolith and, and moon rocks and stuff. Um, the Apollo astronauts also put uh, laser reflectors on the surface of the moon. And so mm-hmm. you, can, you can, you can bounce lasers off, off the surface and get like really, really, really accurate um, orbital data uh, from that, um, which then tells you like, you know, you look at that and you look at this, the, the diameter of the moon that gives you the mass. Um, like, it's just like, like, pretty, pretty basic, like physics calculations. Um, so like the, the, none of those calculations come anywhere close to saying like, Oh, there must be like, must be hollow. Um, <laughs> right. And, and like they measure were, lunar yeah. earthquakes, by the way, they have yeah. seismometers on the yep. moon or they yep. have had seismometers on the moon. There's no way the moon is hollow because, uh, lunar earthquakes have been well, well measured in the scientific community. That was yeah. gonna, that was like my number one question for you guys because I hadn't looked. I was like, I don't know. I guess I've never seen it neither here nor there. If the moon has, they, a they core call or them not. moonquakes. It's so moonquakes. cute. Yeah, moonquakes. Aww, right. yep. little moonquakes. Little moonquakes. Yep. Uh, yeah, I mean there there is like actually just just recently there was there's some some new scientific models of how the moon could have formed um, where uh, at least at least the models seem to show that there's a possibility that the moon might have formed after that collision with a, with a Mars size object. Um, it may have formed in like a matter of hours, uh, oh. which is like just fascinating. Um, yeah. Like, like, you know, if you could imagine, uh, you know, some alien creature watching from, you know, Mars or Venus or whatever, and like yeah. watching this moon form, like just over the, like, as you're, as you're sitting there watching that eating your popcorn. Um, <laughs> so I think it's yeah. pretty cool. So, so speaking of bolides uh, and, and planetary formation, can I digress for a second to talk about um, <laughs> the fact, okay. So the Chicxulub impactor, mm-hmm. the fact mm-hmm. that it killed all the dinosaurs, except for the ones that are now birds, right? Birds are birds of the dinosaurs that survived. Right. Um, so the fact that it killed all of them, there's a lot of work in the last um, 10, 15, 20 years on how, on how that would be the case, right? Like how the entire uh, line of dinosaurs would, would have been wiped out. And I, my understanding is the current theory is that after the Chicxulub impactor, there was a, there was an, ex, there was a time and I don't know if it's measured in hours or days or weeks or months, when the temperature on the of the Earth's atmosphere was measured in the hundreds of degrees Fahrenheit, right? Like the Earth's atmosphere got to a couple of hundred degrees Fahrenheit or three hundred degrees Fahrenheit or something like that, mm-hmm. and and so seeing all these impactors of the moon, all these chunks of the moon being shed and and going into the Earth's atmosphere, like nobody. Nobody gets like how bad that would be, right? Like, um, if if one fifteen kilometer chunk uh, of of space debris. Now, granted, uh, Chicxulub, they think it was moving at forty or fifty kilometers per second. It was it was hauling, uh, but uh, just all this all this stuff as the moon got closer and closer to the Earth in this movie, like all that stuff would have just killed everything on the surface of the Earth, right? They at least showed the birds dying when the oxygen was going low. But something that, <laughs> something that also, <laughs> they all just went. There's just a cut scene where, like, all of a sudden, 12, 12 birds just went splat, and then that was like, oh, there goes the birds. Uh, the oxygen is low. Um, but one one thing that I thought of uh, was when like the first impacts were really truly happening. There was one scene where the kids were like running away because they were trying to get to that bunker in Colorado, and you see like this major asteroid. 
uh, or meteor, I forget the word, sorry, that hits the hits a mountainside and takes out a mountain. Like, right. I don't think they would have, if, if we're going with this crazy science and all that kind of stuff, they, there would have been so much ash and like fallout from around the world that right. like that, I mean, that goes back to what you were talking about the dinosaurs, right? Like everyone was suffocated too on top of like the, the, um, the fire and all that stuff, but they wouldn't have been able to see the moon and have the gorgeous view of the moon coming super, super close. Like it is in legend of Zelda final day. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I kept thinking of. And I really hope there's a meme out there of like the moon and moonfall with like the big, like scary, Moonface and Legend of Zelda, <laughs> Ocarina of Time or Majora's Mask, excuse me. But they, I don't think they would have been able to see it with all the ash. Uh, I am not. I do not know much about Legends of Zelda, but it involves uh, a, a, there's a cut scene where the moon comes and comes close to Earth. Yeah. So <laughs> that I'm just making this connection now. Oh my God, I'm a big like my whole back. People can't see it, but like I literally have Legends of Zelda stuff all over my room. Um, but Majora's Mask is like that is in a, in a similar a, a similar plot where the moon is being pulled and in three days time it will crash into the world and so you are going around trying to collect all these masks trying to take out the the character who is calling the moon to the earth to stave off the moon so um, throughout the days you know the moon is getting closer and closer and then you have a little melody that can fast forward time or reverse it or what have you. And like the final boss battle, the moon is like right there. And it's literally a man on the moon face. And he's like uh, this big scary face. He's got a big honking nose. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, so, and anyway, and then you can actually feel like as time shift, the moon gets closer and there's a little bit like earthquakes that are happening too. But yeah. I would there, argue there was... better than moonfall at the end of the day. <laughs> I think I'd rather. Nice. Yeah. There, yeah. There's, there was definitely at least one, one point in the movie where like the characters look outside and the moon is just like, suddenly like right there. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I turned in and was like, I was like, ah, that's right behind you. <laughs> just, just like, Oh my God. The moon is rising. The moon is rising. We have to go. Um, okay. So that's, that's the, the, the theory. And then, Hopefully they can get off in 20 minutes and get into the sky. Yeah. So, uh, and, oh yeah, uh, right. <laughs> I, I love that scene, right? Because, because they've sent, so there's this whole kid subplot, right? Cause it's not a Roland Emmerich film unless the, there's a familial dynamic that it has to get addressed. And this movie, of course, like everything else, it doesn't have just one, it has two, right? So it has both Halle Berry's kid, uh, with her ex-husband, who is a big uh, guy in the military, and it has Patrick Wilson's uh, ne'er do well or, or you know, uh, what's it, a delinquent uh, teenage son. So yeah. it's got to have both of them. So they send them off from uh, from Vandenberg, and then they realize there's a giant tidal wave coming to Vandenberg, and that's why <laughs> it's it's not just that they have to leave within 28 minutes. Again, this movie has to do everything twice as much as, as needed. So it isn't just they need to take off in 28 minutes because of celestial mechanics. They also have a giant uh, tidal wave coming. But I love how both Patrick Wilson and Halle Berry just completely assume the kids are fine, which they are because they outrun the tidal wave, you see. Oh, yeah. But they watch the launch they stop. just they stop long the enough yeah. on a hill. And the whole time I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? What are you, get in the car. Get in the car. And finally yeah, the kid's like, 
probably get back in the car now. Oh, yes. But it's but, okay but at least they climb a couple hundred feet and they, yeah, and they, it's fine. Yeah, they're fine. It's fine. Um, but at least the space shuttle is able to take off uh, through a giant wave. Um, which, through the uh, wave! Oh, the wave. that was it. That yeah. was the worst moment in the film. We're that getting was covered! The worst, that is the worst moment in the film when the shuttle goes through the tidal wave <laughs> to get out. You going to say that was no, the worst? It's Sharknado. Okay. It's yeah. Sharknado territory at that point. Uh, I feel like the cop out that the director, if anyone from the science community were to be like, this would not happen, would be like, there's weird gravity happening. How were the kids away to get away yeah, from the, yeah. the tidal gravity. wave? The gravity slowed the tidal wave. <laughs> How were they able to get out wow. of the um, the water with the rocket? But gravity pulled it towards close to the moon. I mean... So, so much, much like in, uh, uh, was it, it was Ad Astra with, uh, no, Interstellar with, with, uh, the water planet, um, right. mm-hmm. land on the ice cloud. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I and, just watched that yeah, recently yeah. too. Um, right. Like much, much as in that movie where, you know, it's like, oh, Hey, we got water in, in our rocket engines. Like we're going to have to do something before we turn them back on. It's like you, you're, you're operating rocket engines underwater. Uh, you're, you're, you're dousing your, you're dousing your cryogenic tanks in water, uh, which is great. Uh, so um, <laughs> you don't want to go anywhere. That. So like the entire, the entire external tank of, of the space shuttle <laughs> is filled with liquid hydrogen, and liquid oxygen. Uh, it has, you know, it has some insulation on the outside of it. That insulation is now getting soaked in seawater, which is uh, like, even just in the brief amount of time that it has uh, in, in the water is going to freeze immediately. Uh, and then as it's, uh, um, uh, and then the next thing that's going to happen is it's going to off gas, uh, which will then blow all of the insulation off the outside of the external tank. Uh, and, and then bad things happen. Um, you know, or you get a Columbia uh, situation where you get a bunch of, of insulation and ice raining off of the external tank onto the orbiter itself uh, and, oh. and breaking pieces and, and whatever else. Um, yeah. So, all so kinds this, of stuff. this, this gets to a fundamental human misunderstanding about airplanes and spacecraft, which is how fragile they are. I remember when 9-11 happened, people were like, there's no way a plane flew into the Pentagon because the Pentagon is still there. And you're like, you don't understand the density of an airplane versus the density of a concrete building, mm-hmm, right? Airplanes mm-hmm. are so light and they are designed within a Nats patootie for the exact load cases that they experience traveling at 640 miles an hour or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And that's all they're good for. And if you, if you load up an airplane in the wrong direction, the wings snap off, right? Um, and it's why commercial airplanes can't do aerobatic maneuvers, right? Um, airplanes and spacecraft are so light, right? Like, isn't uh, the space shuttle weighs about as much as a rail car, right? Uh, I think I oh, think wow. the, the dry weight of the space shuttle is comparable to just your standard rail car, um, something like a couple hundred thousand pounds, something like a hundred uh, hundred uh, hundred. Metric tons. Uh, yeah, one hundred and one hundred seventy-two thousand pounds dry. I mean, it makes sense when you think about it, because you got okay. you're fighting gravity as you're getting off the ground. You don't want something that's going to be a lead weight on top of the fuel. Yeah, I mean, it's back. really hard. It's hard to get to orbit, right? It takes. It's. It's most. Most. Yeah, you have to be. You have to be really, really light. So people just don't get that, right? They don't get that when airplanes hit water, they disintegrate. 
right? And if airplanes hitting water disintegrate, airplanes hitting a concrete building really disintegrate, right? So, but people just don't get any of that, right? So, no, which I is agree. why, which is why they think that you can fly a spacecraft through water, right? You can't. You take any off-axis loads on any of these things. I mean, unfortunately, when Columbia broke up over Texas, you know, the second that it went um, off, you know, its aerodynamic directions, it immediately started breaking up, right? Like there wasn't it, – it, 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 all these things fall apart really fast when you give them any off-axis rotation, right? And uh, – <sighs> People just don't get how light they are. If you say the shuttle weighs as much as a train car, that gives you an idea how how light the shuttle is, right? Because well, it's big. It's a lot bigger than a train car. I think, too, like, uh, people also have not, and this is mostly from my perspective of, like, American people, because that's, like, what we see in the news and everything. We don't too often see, when, when bad things happen, we don't see, like, crime scene photos or we don't see the actual wreckage or anything. There's actually a lot of media loss out there that prevent it from happening. Um, and it's usually just aer aerial shots. And if anyone has seen any sense of aerial shots, especially, like, the Pentagon, like, it's literally just pieces of a plane just, like, splattered across so i think that kind of goes with the disconnect um uh, and and as you said like the typical average person is not going to be uh open to violence other than what they see on the screen which is not reality and unless they're watching like mythbusters they're probably right. not going to have that basic understanding and i remember um not necessarily about planes but the moment that i had this reality or like this this thought about this perspective, especially from like an American perspective. I was actually in London um, and I was passing by a newspaper station and I saw like on the front cover, this like person who had been stabbed to death on a sidewalk. Um, and they showed the person who had been stabbed to death as well as like, it was like a crime scene photo that sure. would not be allowed here. And I, I had actually, I was studying anthropology at the time, came back and got, started looking into like news laws and everything. Um, and I just find that very, very interesting with how violent our culture is. And I say violence from whether it be person to person to like cars or anything. The reality is we don't see things too often. And that definitely translates into our media. So just sure. And, and, and it makes you wonder. Thoughts. Yeah. When people talk about, you know, laws and policies around violence, if, if people haven't seen actual violence, you know, I mean, you get you get a situation where, you know, Clint Eastwood is considered brave as an auteur when in Unforgiven, he actually shows, you know, a, a scene of violence all the way from beginning to end. Right. And mm -hmm. where he actually pulls the tiniest veil off of the cinematic conventions that we use around violence. Right. That movie was hailed you know, as a, as a deconstructionist Western, precisely because we so often sanitize violence. And, and, and. I, I recently saw a interview uh, or kind of, I, f I forget how I was looking into that, but 007 is based off an actual actor who was like, it didn't come out till years later because, um, you know, all the, the, the files were sealed exactly what he did. And in one of the movies that he was, I'll have to look this up later, but um 
the director asked him how would somebody die by like if they were to be like stabbed in the back or something and he was able to actually portray what it sounds like and the director made a comment like well didn't have to question how he found that out (laughs) or you know the experience of it and it was a british actor so oh interesting all right yeah Um, tangent yeah no 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 but i mean it all comes back to uh you know we have a yeah, we don't have a good understanding for how the world impacts uh, us, right? And and it comes back to the 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 tsunami stuff, right? Like the ocean rising up and uh, jumping its banks is is really horrible, right? Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I'm the amount so, the amount of force right involved in that is is just like like it's 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 really unimaginable, um, right? To kind of to what what Shane is describing, right? So I'm going to a phase right now where I'm obsessed with all things related to sailing. And so I'm listening to a uh, audible book by a woman named Julie Bradley, who uh, she and her husband bought a sailboat in France in 99 and sailed around the world. And they were in Phuket when the Indonesian earthquake happened. Well, I should say their boat was in Phuket. They were for various complicated reasons in the United States, but their boat was there. And so they went back to their boat after the, uh, after the tsunami, and it was just unbelievably heartbreaking. Like the entire Indian Ocean basin was was uh, impacted, and you know, hundreds of thousands of people were killed for you know tsunamis. That in some places were only like twenty feet. It's just that if you live on a if you live anywhere near sea level, and a twenty foot wave comes in, it's bringing all sorts of crap with it. And uh, you know, it's not just water; it's all the buildings that were in front of you, uh, between you and the ocean. And it's just the whole thing is just mind numbing. And it just the book has taken a very dark turn. <laughs> it was a pretty pretty happy go lucky travelogue, and then nine eleven happens, and then a couple chapters later, uh, the Indonesian earthquake happens uh, and, and tsunami. And it just it's just been much on my mind of like how tsunamis, how devastating tsunamis. Are. Water is a powerful force. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think of, of even um, you know uh, as. Uh, as both of you has, have experienced, right? We when when we when we drive to our our launch site in, in West Texas, there's a part of there's a part of the road that we have to drive through that's a uh, that can be flooded at times, um, right? And if you ever see signs around similar areas, right, it says do not drive through more than you know a foot or two of, of standing water, and that's because you know something like two feet of standing water is enough, uh, two feet of flowing water is enough to like push your vehicle off the road. Right, mm-hmm. right, and that's like there's right. not very much water, right? So now right. look at a space shuttle height <laughs> worth of water here, <sighs> and just imagine the amount of force involved. Um, it's striking the striking the underside of of this thing that's that's not designed for anything like that. Well, and it's uh, interesting going back to the scene. I, you guys will both know that there's there's that theory where, um, uh, like about like air pressure, right? You you expend your fuel. And then you let off a little bit and then you go again. I forget what that theory is that with rocket there's, do you guys know what I'm talking about? It's a Cumex pocket. Is that what you're talking about? Where you throttle Maybe. back for a little bit when yeah. you're reaching the maximum it, force. Yeah. 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 Cause you're not to yeah. like the Carmen line or anything, but there's that like weird little kind of pocket that happens in, in the movie. Um, as far as like the the timeline of a rocket going up into space, were, do you think that they were under that line or over? Like they weren't they weren't no. honestly too far in the air. It didn't seem like they were very high up. No, they weren't because the they, kids they are still able to see them. Like 
Yeah, Qmax for a rocket that's going to an orbital trajectory occurs at like what Mach three or Mach four. I mean, it's not anything near. I mean, they weren't doing anywhere near that fast. They were still essentially taking off. But I, this movie doesn't yeah. care about. No, <laughs> no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. And, and, and that and that throttle back that that I that shuttle does at Qmax is it 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 only shuttles back it only throttles back from like six Gs to four Gs. It's not like it throttles way 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 back. It just throttles a little bit back such that it doesn't uh, so they can limit the maximum force the that the. the vehicle has to experience um i just i just couldn't get over that you know they had just sent their kids off in a car and the monster tsunami <laughs> has gone by and there's literally again these two are not people right they're just plot delivery devices and, and no one else took care of them everybody just evacuated and left the kids yeah, yeah. right like, just it's like good luck yeah, yeah, like the the entire ground the control they were just yeah like yeah. poos like <laughs> Well, although there was a helicopter, right? Because the the last uh, of the they the, those characters cared more about their subordinates who got killed in the helicopter than looking for their kids who were in a truck in, in the nearby area, right? Yeah, because they they got to see their subordinates get killed in that helicopter that got because the helicopter couldn't fly through the uh, through the tsunami, but no, somehow no. The, the rocket could. But yeah. in this movie, it did make it finally into space. Mm -hmm. And also, <laughs> Sam had a cell phone with him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Brings his, <laughs> brings his iPhone. Brings his iPhone with him. Um, with, uh, with, with his cat, Fuzz Aldrin, as the, uh, 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 as the lock screen picture. Oh, um, Fuzz Aldrin. We've completely glossed over Fuzz Aldrin. Yeah. Like, the name Fuzz Aldrin is the best thing in this movie. I think you're right. It, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, oh, I also... <laughs> I just, I audibly said, so in the very, so just rewind a little. So the introduction of this guy's character, um, he comes back, he, he, he's home after doing all his stuff. And this is like when he, uh, oh, he learns that it's astronaut day and that um, he can go to the museum to like, and he had just visited his mom and his mom was like, share your knowledge. It's meant to be shared. Do the thing, you know? And he's like, ah, I am reinvigorated. I'm going to share my theory and make sure people hear me. And he gets home and Buzz Aldrin pees uh, not in the litter box, but just like on the newspaper because everyone still has newspapers. Um, <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. As we all do. Right. And on the section that he peed on was like the astronaut day and he gets, Oh yes. Astronaut day. I'm going to go see this guy. And he turns around and he goes, you're going to get extra scritches when I get back. And I'm just like, he should, I literally said all the time, there should not always be like this. Cats always get extra scritches. That's more yeah. anecdotal. But as Aldrin, every day, every yeah. day is extra scritch day for cats. And cats, yes, and cats always uh, go outside the litter box. Um, and uh, right, yeah, like who has who has uh, who, who has newspapers and and like and he's a he's a millennial too. Like millennials right, don't have, don't right. go get newspapers, right? That's not a thing. Right. Totally. Um, <sighs> But alas, but yeah, he had a yeah. cell phone with him with his cat on it. I would have, if I had been in that, I would have been like, give me your cell phone. I'm turning it off now. Like, we don't know where this entity is. It could be like patrolling or something. We don't know yeah. that it's like inside the moon still. Can I just say, this is where the movie also gets into a really horrible pacing problems because like, there's still like an hour left at this point. Yeah. Like, yeah. I remember looking down at the, at the like time counter on, 
on my uh, uh, cable box. And it's like, there's still an hour left when that thing takes off, right? But it, it, it won't take the three of us more than about 15 minutes to describe the entire rest of the movie, <laughs> right? Because it's it all, in terms of plot, you know what actually part of it is? Um, I thought that there was a certain element that reminded me, remember in Star Trek One, the motion picture, Star Trek, the motion picture, mm. how they spend forever going through V'ger, right? They go through V'ger, and then they go through V'ger some more, and then they go through V'ger some more, and then they go through V'ger some more, and there's like an hour worth of going through V'ger. There isn't an hour worth of going through this uh, structure, but Emmerich really, really wanted to show off all the special effects. You right? cut out the kid line, the storyline with the kids and everything. <laughs> you could have, it could have been cut it together. Right. Could have been 20 minutes. Yeah. Like, oh, that's true. That, yeah. that does take and, a lot of And all the, all the, the side quests time. along the way for the kids, right? Like, I don't, like, I couldn't even, I couldn't even list them all, right? It's like, you know, they're driving along and they get carjacked and they're, they're walking and then they find the place and then there's more guns and then there's like, and the then gravity tries thing. to pull them off the force. Uh, tries to pull then, them up. Mm-hmm. Into yeah, the they have to go to another car. And then this, they get this, right. the stepdad. Unfortunately, passes because he gives off this oxygen. They the never. They, again. they almost make it. They almost make it to the thing, and then he, um, the the nanny who we haven't even talked about, which by the way, in the very beginning scene, totally queer coded for me. Thought she was the partner of Halle Berry, Berry's right? character. Yeah, got it. You got that too. Oh, yeah. The way yeah. she was looking at Halle Berry, I was yeah. like, "Hold on." He's like, "Here's a coffee." <laughs> like, "Oh yeah, right." Yep. Okay, mm-hmm. bye. See Thanks, you later. Baby. Like, see mm-hmm. you this, you know. And then yeah. I was like, "Hold on." Anyway, um, but then she was coded more to like be the maybe love interest of the son. That no, you know, you know what she was? No, 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 no. She was, the producers were Chinese, and she was the requisite Chinese cast member when oh. you've got a multinational production, and the Chinese demand that there be a Chinese character in the movie. And there's been a bunch of these movies where Chinese cast members have bristled, and I, I, I don't have any good examples off the top of my head, but I've seen several cases where Chinese cast members have said, hey, um, you don't do anything with my character. I'm in this film. Um, Star Wars. Yeah, right. But, I mean, the executive producers, a bunch of the executive producers, and I, and I want to say the main, when they came to the end of the movie, like there's, there's 20 people listed as, as executive producers on this film. But I remember like the three that they actually showed first in the credits were all Chinese names. And mm-hmm. the thing that I also noticed about this film is no kissing, which is always a giveaway for a Chinese film, right? A film that is targeted for uh, heavy consumption within China, there won't be any kissing. So for instance, oh. there's no kissing in, um, Oh, what's the one with the giant robots versus the giant uh, space creatures? Uh, Pacific Rim. Pacific Rim. Pacific Rim is another movie oh. where there's no kissing. They don't. The Chinese uh, producers don't like kissing in their films. That so. kind of makes Halle Berry's character, along with the other male lead, make sense a little bit more of why they were like, "We are friends. You were at my wedding." Like it felt very like this is a statement yes. that we're making in this right. movie, right. and yes. that is this their is, relationship. Yes, yeah. he, he refers to her as as my work wife. Right, um, which at, is at creepy. Which is totally um, creepy. If if that happened yeah. in our company, instant HR action. By the way, I'll just point out: don't call somebody your work wife. Yeah. Um, at least not yeah. at work. Um, 
unless yeah. you're really don't good ever. friends. Just don't, just, just don't, don't do it. Just maybe it's, don't. Not, it's not it's great. Not don't don't do it. Okay. You can um, be work buddies. Well, that's that's right. more acceptable. Uh, but. Making a thing out of the other person's gender is mm-hmm. a bad yeah, but, but right. Yeah, you're right. There's like, there's no, there's no relationship tension between Halle Berry and Patrick Wilson. There's like a little tiny bit, maybe between, um, yeah, this foreign exchange student nanny person and um, the son. The yes, yeah, there is, kind but because it's a Chinese production, they can't. But have like, any... it, it just doesn't even resolve. It's like they're just sort of like. No, yeah, it, it did, and this this the scene so like another favorite scene of mine is when uh they're trampsing through the winter storm the father just dies right they get to like the entrance of the bunker and they're like but where's dad and the kid's like i don't know and the son's like i'll go get him and the mom's like no don't he's like let me go and he goes off and then the nanny's like but but and like follows him he's like what are you doing i'm going with you no you're not uh, cue like intense like oh my god rocks are flying in the air now we have to save each other I guess we're not going to save it was just like we're going to turn around 20 feet shit goes down oops guess we're not saving my stepdad anymore and then try to like dramatically get back to the cave entrance which they would have like all I could think of because they did make like the dramatic jump another dramatic jump but not in a car this time of the both of them flying through the air to land and then the rocks come <laughs> crashing down they would have they would have been deaf. Like there, there would have uh-huh. been dust. They would have been 100%. like, out, like with all of the stuff that came down, like there's no way that they came out of that. I guess that's plot armor, right? Like that's all I could think of was like, Oh, well they're going to be deaf. At least they can be deaf together. Like <laughs> after what just happened, but they, yeah, they it's... don't technically make it to the bunker. Right. Cause there's the, le- the line at the end where it's like, nope. we never made it. Nope. They never make it to the bunker. Um, yeah. Right, but but they don't they don't need to. Um, so so they get to safety, right? Um, they get to safety in some like railway tunnel or whatever, um, or road road tunnel, um, which I don't know. I, I was trying to identify it, like because they're in Colorado and there's a bunch of tunnels like that, and like I couldn't I couldn't quite pick it out. Um, it's not it's not like the it's not like the, the big I seventy tunnel or anything like that. Um, right, the Eisenhower Tunnel. That'd yeah. be cool. Yeah, yeah, that would, that would be cool. Um, but that's as that's that's a lot, it's a lot bigger. Um, anyway, Maybe it was cut from the budget. Yeah. Right. <sighs> so they get to the moon. Um, <laughs> there's probably there's no bunch of... actual outdoor scenes in this film. I bet you every single outdoor scene in this film is CGI on a, or a soundstage I bet you or something. Every single thing was shot in the soundstage. They, like I said, they had close to 150 different sets that they made because of COVID restrictions. Hmm. Sure. Um, but, so they get right, to the moon, so... and, and I think I think what you were saying earlier about like the just like the length of of the film at this point is like there was there was so much back and forth once they got to the moon. It's like they get there and they like drop off the lander thing, and then they try and try and lure the the creature out to attack it, and then it doesn't, and then there's all this like back and forth and back and forth, um, and and until they finally decide to like go down in into the crater, right? Together. Yeah. And Sam loses his phone at that point. They find there's that intense scene where they have to turn off all their electric because um, the EMP, the the remote was emitting a signal. That's what right. I understood at least, right? Yeah. yeah, that's what was attracting the creature. 
Except they then, for the plot purpose, needed that remote to work again later. Yeah. yeah. So After- even though they destroyed it, they undestroyed it. Again, unreliable <laughs> the DM. Out of it. The yeah. DM ah. realized that he yeah. worked himself, he or she worked themselves into a plot hole. So they rolled a 20 sided die and on a 20 uh, decided that the. Oh, look, uh, it magically came back. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like, didn't that break earlier? No, no, no. It's fine. It's fine. Keep, okay, keep I'm glad I, I, I was confused about that. I'm glad that I didn't miss anything on that one. Can I just point out that the second worst moment in the film for me after the shuttle flying through the water was the the red shirts sent a probe down the hole and the evil alien entity came out and destroyed the probe and killed them. But the but the protagonists fly down the hole and everything's fine. I was going to say, how how is their shuttle? What was? But they were in that the very specific non electrical shuttle. No, no, they left that behind. Um, oh, right. Sorry, they took. Right. They took. Yeah, no, they <laughs> took a modern probe. Right, the vehicle that was designed to allow them to do this whole plan, uh-huh. they leave behind, and they yep. take the very modern vehicle That's that was thought. designed to draw the evil alien entity. They fly <laughs> that down the hole, and uh. everything's fine. It's fine. Yep. Yeah, it, yeah. The, the 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 nanobots were sleeping. I was taking a nap or something. They, they were they were in their long rest and they rolled a poor perception check. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, they make it through, and it's like this massive cube, the megastructure. It's real. Yeah. Well, and it's got gyros, right? It's got it's very gyros. cool gyros. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. I will have to say they looked somewhat like the gyros that were used in the Oculus in Neil Stevenson's novel Seven Eves. And I know the person that designed the gyros in that particular scenario. Uh, Were they consulted for this film? uh, I was not consulted for this film. Uh, I will say that. No one consulted me. Uh, So if Roland Emmerich, if you borrowed that from uh, Neil's novel, then shame on you. Mm. But anyhow. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Giant gyros. Giant Giant gyros. gyros. Giant gyros. I did appreciate the moment where they finally get, they're starting to get to the inner inside of it and they come across one of the rings and there's fields. And it, that's when we get the Gary was right. Gary was right. <laughs> yeah. The pothead was right. Gary was right. Um, right. And there's, there's fields and there's like giant weapons and spaceships and like all kinds of stuff that, that are just kind of like hanging out inside Although the moon there. We find out later that they weren't supposed to have any organic life on that, on that cons on that mega construct because that would bring the evil entities right. Yeah. So why would they have fields? That's organic life, Tim. It and kind Shane. of looked like desert. It didn't look like active fields, but it like I actually rewound it because I was like, wait, and I kind of missed it. But it, it looked brown. I don't know if that just, but maybe because hmm. it's not like humanoid organic life. Maybe that's the that's the caveat, uh. right? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Who knows um, with these things? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Only the director. Yeah. So I don't know. Let's see. So they 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 crash land their spaceship inside the Dyson sphere. Um, they're gonna die. They're gonna die, they and then they don't. A lot to the abyss, right? Yes. That whole yes. scene owes its. In- Entire pacing to the abyss. Oh, I'm about to die. Oh, well, no, wait, I'm not going to die. Now there's long corridors of light and there's things in those corridors of light. Yes. Yeah. 
and and exposition involving like mind melds or or something um and uh yeah uh Patrick Wilson gets mind melded with with the alien intelligence and and gets the whole backstory. Not the evil alien intelligence. It no, no. turns out there's another alien intelligence. Yeah, because they're they they battle it out very briefly with the entity, and then all of a sudden the good entity beams them in, but their whole construct is completely torn apart, and then he just magically disappears into a special room and gets the download, the matrix download. I like also how the nanobots, the swarming nanobots, behave as one large physical construct when the plot requires them to. So when the good alien uh, closes a giant door and the uh, bad alien comes up to the door, uh, the door closing stops the the evil alien. Like It's not like three pieces of the evil alien could get through I mean, it well, was it's like it, tiny it was enough little, to get to the cracks. Yeah, they were like little nanobots. They should have been able to get through. But the, it acted like it was one big physically contiguous blob for the purposes of, of the plot. They, they did mention that, that whatever substance the, the actual structure was made out of is nothing that they had never seen. And it's like the right. toughest thing. And that's why it took, what was the total, 12, 10, 12 years for it to, to barrel through the core. The outer and that's, value. And, yeah, and that's why they knew that they were safe because if it took that the creature that long, then then there's no way like that it's gonna get through anytime soon. So sure. 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 And then who who does the aliens end up being? They're they're us. They're us. They're us. Aha. They're us. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they're Star they're Star Trek aliens, right? They're yeah, aliens yeah. with like little weird things on their forehead or whatever. There we go. Yeah. I'm just they're thinking of Galaxy Quest. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I, what were those what were those race what was that race called? Uh oh gosh, I don't know, but they uh such a good movie. Yeah. I'll have to look that up real quick. So so uh, yeah, yeah, so there's backstory. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, exposition. So uh, the alien AI, the good alien AI, creates a construct, and first it uses Patrick Wilson's son as a youngster, and then Patrick Wilson's son as a delinquent, and uh, and then it becomes exposition, but also allows Patrick Wilson to have more, I don't know, emotional reconciliation with his son, even though this is a new construct. It's tiring just describing it. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 again the like the not even an archetype, but the stereotype, um, right? He's not a real he's not a real person. He is uh, he is a character uh, who is a dad, and therefore, as a dad, he must uh, he he must give up his own life for his his son, um, right? Like that's that's all there because is. Because he loves him. Yeah, he's, the, a plot, the AI... he's literally a plot device. Yeah. That's all this guy is. Um, you know, and then he got more plot that is like, he becomes the key in essence. But then um, it turns out the AI was, this was the answer the AI, AI was hoping for, right? Right. It wanted us to know that we loved each other. I'm just like, has it not been watching the earth for the last hundreds of years? Like, has it not been seeing what humans are turning out to be? Like, did it have to ask Patrick Wilson whether he loved his son or not? I guess it's been in stasis until they found, or we found them. Like, like what would it, what would it have done if Patrick Wilson said, I need to save my son because he owes me money. 
<laughs> right? Right. Like, yeah. like, I would have been like, uh, well, there goes the race. Guess we're like, screwed. Yeah, like, yeah. I guess I'm just going to give up and let this creature take me. Right? Like, <sighs> and how does it know? How does it know that it's brethren or it's other? Because uh, in the storyline, it was like, I am the last one. You know, uh, all these other mega structures have been killed. And now I am I am the lone, the lone standing in this world. How does it know? Like, right. like, where's that answer? Um, and shouldn't and it, it go off to seed other planets? Like, let's assume for a second it's the last one in the universe, right? At the point where humanity is instantiated on the planet, shouldn't it go someplace else and seed life elsewhere? It was the only place. It was the only place in the universe oh, where they could, they where they could, yeah, where they could create a planet that could sustain human life. Even though Alpha Centauri A and B both have habitable zones, and then the nearest stars, nearest major star systems to our own, well, maybe even they've though already we've been destroyed. Shown... <sighs> sure, yes. Yeah. Uh, Tola, you're yes. thinking too much. Yes, <laughs> um, but then does... of course he has to be bait for this creature. Right. Yeah. I actually yeah. like that. I like that. I like that there was a reason why the humans being at the moon would be different than the AIs, just the two AIs battling it out. Like that was the one plot thing that I thought was kind of nice. Like, okay, okay. It makes sense that way. I mean, I don't know why the AI, the good AI didn't just go down to earth and pick some humans up and do it themselves. Right. Seeming to wait for Halle Berry and, and Patrick Wilson to ride out. A tsunami seems like a, <laughs> seems like a dangerous it's like, strategy. It's the wrong kind of long distance relationship. It seems very one-sided. <laughs> yeah. All right. What was what was the plan? He needed he needed to draw the AI out so and then use the EMP that way and kill it that yeah, way. Yeah, the AI will right? only the bad AI will only go after something that has two character has a combination of two characteristics: advanced technology and organic life. Right. It will only attack something that has both of those things. Right. It's why it hasn't already killed the the uh, smart AI. Or the good AI. Mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. So, but the good AI is, is has realized that uh, with these humans, they can draw it out. And the good AI also, for extra measure, because why not? It improves the bomb that the humans brought with them. Yeah, it fixes. Oh, fixes yeah, they the get thing, leveled up. Fixes their ship. Yeah, it's like the party has a long rest, mm-hmm. and the D, the the DM that's rewriting everything gives them five extra levels. Right. Like, you oh, fall you into from- a deep sleep, and when you wake up, there's a plus five Vorpal blade sitting next to you. <laughs> wow! I did like the like the pan over shot of the new. Was it the new engine in their in their craft? Oh was yeah, that, that, the, was? yeah the, that was the EMP. That was that the was weapon. the EMP. Yeah, that's what it, it sparkled. Yeah, it's bright. It's shiny. It had, <laughs> it had RGB lights. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the 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 whole uh, the whole backstory of like the. The, the conflating of, of the like the AI apocalypse and the gray goo apocalypse, right? Of like the, the nanobots um, is is also like like pretty amazingly um, poorly done, right? It's like in order in order to have a like an AI apocalypse, you have to have a nanobot apocalypse uh, in in Roland Emmerich's mind. Um, and then and and other than that, like he, he basically the the whole um, like killer killer robot. Um, idea uh came came from a, a series of short stories by fred saberhagen back in the 60s uh called the, the berserkers um and I, i'm pretty sure he was the first one to kind of come up with this like this idea of like humanity or, or a human-like race creates 
a, a weapon or a, or a technology whose sole purpose is to destroy all life. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been done. It's been done so many times before. You know what I just realized too, in the, the flashback scene um, of like the little girl waking up and she's like, she addresses the, like the little cute AI machine, like, Hey, how's it going? Um, and it like her mother's there and like the AI's, you know, revolt. I just realized Tola to your, to your point, I think if I remember correctly, they're Asian too. Like in, in that flashback scene, it was a little Asian girl and Asian mom. I think so. Yeah. Or, I mean, they were definitely, but sp- it's hard to tell. I think they were yeah, Star Trek. Like the futuristic. Trek. Yeah. Star yeah. Trek no, people. that's, that's completely fair. Yeah. But yeah, um, but she, yeah, but she's like, she's like, good morning, Alexa. And Alexa's like, I'm going to murder you. <laughs> right. Which actually I think could happen. I just want to point out that the first Fred Saberhagen Berserker novel came out in 1967. I I think you can argue that the uh, Cornucopia of Doom, whatever it was called in the original Star Trek, the one with Commodore Decker and they got a, they wind up taking a, Enterprise class ship and blowing it up inside the thing that looks like a cornucopia, but it's a doom. Oh machine. yeah, 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 the doomsday machine. Yeah, I, I think the idea of a berserker was around before Saberhagen, right? Yeah, could have been. Unless yeah. that, unless that, unless that episode is specifically based on or, or a derivative of the Saberhagen thing, which I don't know. But I mean, I think that idea of a technology. I mean, this is one of s- several. So Shane, there's a cool book called Fifty Solutions to Fermi's Paradox. And it's uh, a book on Enrico Fermi famously said, like, if there's tons of space aliens out there, where are they? And so Mm -hmm. there's um, so so people have attempted to catalog uh, the various uh, answers to the question of where are space aliens. And they fall into three major categories. One is uh, they don't exist. This rare Earth idea that for some reason Earth itself is quite rare. The second is they exist, but they've never been here. And the third is they exist and they've been here and we just don't know about it. And so in the category of uh, they don't exist is uh, one of the solutions is that um, technological civilizations are inherently self-destroying, right? And so Mm -hmm. this idea that we'll build AIs or whatever that'll destroy us. But another is in the category of they exist and they haven't been here. And it's this berserker idea that Tim mentioned. And it's the idea that if you had an incredibly powerful xenophobic galactic empire, everybody would lay low, right? Anybody who, who figures out, figures that out would keep a very, very low profile and try to avoid being detected by anybody else. And that's basically what we've got here, right? That makes me think of Steven's universe. Have you guys watched Uh, Steven's universe? (laughs) Oh, I, I, I just going along with the theory of like hiding out and everything. Um, that's, that's super fascinating. It also makes me think of, um, I don't know the exact breakdown, but like, I, I know there's theories out there about like, if we create AI, these are the branches that could, that could ultimately happen from, you know, it'll push our society to being better to, and we work alongside them basically to know they're going to determine that we are the, um, we are the virus to this earth and we need to be extricated. Right. Um, right. And I grew up on movies like, Oh, what was his name? He was the kid from the sixth sense. Um, cute little kid. But then there's like this other movie. Where, Joel Osment. Yeah. He, he was like the little robot. AI. AI. It, it actually was AI. Yeah. And yeah. like that whole movie ends up with him 
like essentially getting, uh, becoming kind of self-aware and then um, eventually finding his resting place at the below of the ocean. It's been many years since I've seen that. But I just remember, I have this like image of him going down to the bottom of the sea. Um, but I don't, it's one that I kind of, the whole AI thing is one that I kind of go back and forth on. And I'm curious what you guys think. Like, uh, Tola, you already said like, oh, Alexa could kill us one day. Um, do you think that's kind of more where our society as a whole is going towards if we don't? Uh, I just worry about the technological singularity with where we accelerate the development of technology to the point that we no longer are involved in its creation or advancement. And we come, we build economic systems where we're no longer participants. I mean, that's starting to happen already in some senses, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, will we, will we wind up in a universe where we're just truck drivers uh, shipping around stuff that artificial intelligences are, that we've built to design things are actually designing and, and all we're doing is like the menial work and haircuts and, and uh, you know, stuff like that, changing air filters. Um, that's, that's one of the concerns I have that we'll just get left behind by whatever economic systems get developed with the assistance of AIs. Even if we don't get AIs that are classically uh, self-aware, you know, a la Skynet, even if we just develop continually more advancingly complicated economic systems. Tim, I don't know what you think. Um, oh gosh, it depends on uh, my opinion. Depends on how long I've spent on Twitter on any given day. Um, Stamp. <laughs> optimistic Fair. or pessimistic? I just want to. Tell, I just want to point out, Tim. <laughs> I told you 15 years ago that Twitter was bullshit, and I wasn't going to spend any time on it. And you uh-huh. tried to convince me otherwise. And yep. I really feel like I. I no. Time has proven me right. It's still. It's still bullshit. Um, the. Uh, <laughs> Uh, oh, so I ran, entirely random uh, thought as I was remembering how they, um, I think it's how they were kind of arming the device or, 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 uh, or, um, oh no, I think it was when they were, when they were refueling um, at the, at the SpaceX refueling depot on the way to the moon. Um, there's a, you, you see a computer screen um, and it's, it says, you know, Enter your credentials. Uh, um, this is a, this is this is this is this yeah. is uh, protected by Kaspersky Labs. Oh yeah, um, right. And, there, and there's a giant billboard for for Kaspersky um, antivirus uh, software earlier in the movie, um, which huh. is which is like like strangely weird because Kaspersky is a like it's a fairly well known antivirus software um, yep. that has recently been been banned for use by uh, anybody who works for the United States government because it is believed to be um, connected to the FSB because um, it's like it's a Russian owned security software mm-hmm. company. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so to see it show up in like NASA hardware uh, is uh, is just like, I don't know. Randomly weird, like like someone you know someone over there decided to like hey let's let's advertise in this movie right let's get some product placement <laughs> in this strange conspiracy theory movie. Well, I mean, yep. when you think about it, um, who are kind of the two major foreign powers that the U.S. government isn't getting along with right now, and for many years, uh, China and Russia, and who are pretty good themes in this in this movie that we've seen china and russia (laughs) it is kind of interesting and when we look at this movie and that relationship between the united states and them 
Um, I'm, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm looking at, at Kaspersky's uh, press release associated with the movie. It's hilarious. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, kind of going back to Tola's uh, comment, though, if you if you are somebody who does kind of like getting into a relationship between AI and and humans and all that kind of jazz, I kind of stumbled into a great book that I read this year that is definitely one of my top five. It's called Crier's War. Oh, um, yes. Love it. Uh, Cryer's War by Nina Varelia. Um, okay. It is a two-part book. Um, it's got like 95% on Google. It's really, really good. It's a um, it's really good, in my opinion, queer um, uh, fantasy. But the whole premise of the book is it's somewhere in the future of this world where um, kind of to Tola's point, um, AI are basically humanoid robots and they are like the the reigning power and humans are kind of medieval servants and the relationships and the power plays that kind of happen through there and the AI kind of taking on more human um, um, qualities and um, it is kind of a love story uh, between some folks in that book and it's very interesting and I read through it really quickly and it's probably one I will go back and read again someday. So that's definitely one of my recommendations that I have been telling folks at the end of this year. Well, I have just added it to my uh, Amazon wish list. So. Yeah. I, I read it earlier this year and I loved it. Oh, you did Tim? Yeah. Oh, we'll have to talk about that. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and if only Tim, if only you and I had the economic, uh, uh, for, uh, 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 I don't know what the right word is, but the uh, savoir faire to have like found sponsors for our podcast that we could monetize <laughs> this whole thing. And I can be like, I just added it to my Amazon <laughs> wish list. Uh-huh. But unfortunately, we don't we don't have sponsors for this podcast. Yeah. We just do it for fun, and we don't. Yeah. Make any money. it's fine. Um, hey, uh, so let's see. Um, in the in the interest of. Um, uh, we're trying, two, two hours and three minutes in. Is that trying, what you're to, trying to keep our trying to keep our podcast uh, approximately no longer than the movie itself that we're talking about? Right. Um, oh, that's so. <laughs> that's a general. That's a general that's a, rule. That's actually that's a really a good point. Okay. Yeah. Goal. So they they have the bomb and uh, <laughs> the EMP. The, yeah. So they have the EMP. They right. They've got this problem where they can't like they can't set it off unless the the nanobots are attacking them. But the nanobots won't attack them unless they have a. a a, a human and technology together. Uh, so, you know, who's going to, who's going to go, who's going to be the one to sacrifice themselves. And then um, basically uh, uh, Casey Houseman has a, has a moment of revelation and decides that he, he is the one he, he must be the one to do it. Um, because he is childless. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly. a mole on that mole on that little political commentary yeah. just for a second there. Why don't we? He, right. And he had his moment where he said his goodbyes to his mom, and he's like, I was always meant for something bigger than myself. Um, which, side note, I, that was also one of my, my favorite scenes was when things were going down, and, and he called the nursing home. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened to be the exact moment that his mom was getting evacuated. And he was like, put the nurse on the line, this random nurse person. Nurse X doesn't even address them by name, which if you – I feel like that character would actually know who is taking care of his mother to be like, take care of her. And I just love that the nurse was like, yep. And hangs up and like wheels her out. <laughs> That's my job. <laughs> That's will do. But yeah, ultimately he he makes the ultimate sacrifice. 
um, and takes except out the AI. Except only sort of. Except only sort of. <laughs> this is fair. Because um, in a nod to the novelization of 2010, if not the actual movie 2010, uh, in the same way that the monolith saves Hal after the destruction of Discovery in 2010, uh, this thing, which is basically a ripoff of the monolith intelligence from 2001 and 2010, saves Sam Turley, right? So mm -hmm. he has a post-existence, he's been digitized and brought into the moon, and now he's going to get to nerd out with the AI for the next, you know, billion yeah. years. Yeah, with, I kind with, of liked that, though. With, with Fuzz Aldrin and his mother as the, the incarnations of the, um, yes. the benevolent AI. Um, Best not, ending for him, yeah. honestly. Not, not just, I did not watch Fuzz Aldrin and his talking. cat. Yeah. I did want Fuzz Aldrin to start talking to him. That was, I was looking forward to it. But, with like, but like, that would have been awesome if it was like Buzz Aldrin's... Is Buzz Aldrin still alive? He's alive? I believe he is. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, but like his voice. I, but um, Buzz Aldrin would 100% have done this movie if uh, Roland Emmerich had asked him for it. Uh, yeah, I, 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 just, I just have to say. Yeah. I, I, so, I, yeah. Missed opportunity. I think that's a huge miss on their part to not get those. Let me and, and maybe this this was glossed over, and I was just it was really late last night. I don't know, but like okay, so AI is taken out. Uh, Sam is is assimilated into this thing. Did the moon magically push itself back into where it was supposed to yes. be after losing all of its bits? Apparently, like no, a lot no, no, of its because bits. He now he now had control over the AI. Now had control over its systems, right? Oh, okay, so the, it could push itself. Because the yeah. monster, the monster had starved it of fuel, right? By covering okay. up the, while, the white dwarf. while making it gain mass. Um, well, right. uh, yeah. Can somebody tell me what the mass gaining thing was? Uh, no, thank you. No, 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 just no, just no, no, no. Um, and then look at that screen. <laughs> yeah, uh, and and then uh, of course Halle Berry and Patrick Wilson make their way um, back to Earth, which is conveniently uh, right next right door. <laughs> as they eject from the moon, uh, they're right. like right over right over Colorado. Um, and so they basically like pop out of the moon and then poof, their, their parachutes open and they just like float down, uh, yeah, to a building Colorado. that's in New Actually, York. Chrysler building. <laughs> <laughs> Can I point out that, uh, Halle, Halle Berry's ex-husband, who I think gets blown up during this whole thing is one of the military guys. And they actually have the line, uh, uh, one of the, you know, cause he's preventing them from. There's this whole other. I mean, this, this movie. We didn't just even get into that point. Yeah, he basically helps. Yeah, yeah. He basically helps Halle. He trusts Halle Berry, so he keeps them from doing their completely ineffective new plan. Um, but they say, "God help you if you're wrong," and he says, "God help us all." And it's just like <laughs> it is just the cherry. It's the plot cherry on top of the Sunday at this point for me. <laughs> I. And that's another thing where I'm like, okay, if the government truly was to that point, somebody would have shot him, taken the key, and put the key in. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Like without, there would have been without, no dilly dallying. Nope they they would they would have had no time to spare. The fate of the entire planet would have been on the line. Somebody would have just popped him in the head and taken the key and put it in the in the. I mean, he had a gun and everything, but there were like 50 people in the room. He right? didn't even draw his own. Did he, I don't think he drew his gun either. He did. He, yeah, okay. yeah, he did. Yeah. Maybe he did. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, uh, all right. And yeah. the kids survive. And kids survive. Uh, the only person who dies, the only ma major plot character who dies is poor Michael Pena. 
Right. Yeah. Right. He's but, but again, sac- he sacrifices is, himself. Yeah. Because this child. is a Chinese produced film, there's no romantic anything. There's no romantic reconciliation between like at the end, by the end of 2012, John Cusack is back together with his ex-wife, even though she had a husband who just died horribly, you know, slightly before that. But of course she's back with John Cusack because he's John Cusack, right? Well, how can you not? Um, but there's no, there's no, there's really no denouement of this, of this movie, right? There's not like 2012. No. As the whole thing where, like, it's at the end and they're on the ship and everybody's going to be happy and they have a moment to ponder, like, that they've been given another chance and stewardship of this planet and blah, blah, blah. There's, like, nothing like that in this movie. It's just, like, and yeah. they're not dead. And you know what's interesting now that, like, it, having the context of, like, who is involved in the making of this film, knowing that, like, how, like, the top producers were of, like, from China um, – I don't, are you guys familiar with like Chinese piety within their culture and everything? Uh, so within China, like you have honor to your family. It, it's, it's that very, very strong family values and that essence and knowing that context now, and it, it does feel, it felt like a lot of times that this movie was shot in a different language or written in a different language and somebody translated it and the characters just delivered it, the lines like a voiceover. Like, I love you, father. I love you too, son. You know what I mean? Like, it felt very, but like, we have to show our honor to each other. We have to, oh, and now I love you. And I'm so sorry for all the stuff that I did. I will do better in the future. Like, that, I just made that connection is all. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can see it. it yeah. Uh, evidently, the, the, the Dennis and James Wang from the Hue brothers were the executive producers and mainland Chinese distributor. And supposedly they needed to make a bunch of, bunch of money. I don't know if they did or not. I don't think anybody they, made any money after this movie. They didn't. It, it it's cost. fun to look up. It's it's fun to look up the phrase "moonfall Chinese propaganda" because one of the first things that comes up is "sexless, mindless disaster movie made by China appeasers." <laughs> wow. <laughs> it cost. Between 138 and 146 million, they only made about 63 million. Oof. Wow. That's pretty bad. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. Ouch. Um, yeah. Yeah, but you're right. So there's no, I mean, right, there's no, there's no real ending, right? They come, they come back to Earth, right? And, and then it's like problem solved. Um, and even by, even in the final shot of, of the movie, like the moon is still like hanging out. They're pretty close to the Earth. Uh, right. right. There's no, like, you don't get to see it fly back into its normal orbits. Um, there's also like a lot of, just talking about like missed opportunity for a disaster movie, all the disaster stuff feels really like really close to the characters, right? There's no, there's no sort of like big picture. There's no like, um, you know, you think of like Independence Day where, where at least there's, you know, there's like pictures from around the globe of, of all of this destruction. Yeah, and, and, and that was kind of Emmerich's trademark, too, for a long time. Like, he didn't do the classic, but what does this disaster mean for Los Angeles, right? Which is how yeah. disaster movies did it in the 70s and 80s, right? He was he was known as having a more global uh, perspective, and he doesn't have any of that here. It, it does feel like COVID for 10 stuff. seconds. Yeah. yeah? <laughs> it happened in the beginning, like, when you glossed over, like, when people started looting. And it, and it started transitioning, but that's the only time that we see, and that's national. That's not even global. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's a, it's a movie where stuff gets blown up where the earth is being destroyed. Um, and you know, I guess you get sort of, you know, one, maybe one shot of like where the, where the moon is coming down into the earth's atmosphere or whatever. Um, but like for all the time that, that this movie like dragged out, like you want, you want more of the disaster and, and less of uh, whatever else, everything else was. So here's a, here's a clue as to maybe why the ending was so perfunctory. In January 2022, Emmerich spoke about the possibility of filming two sequels back-to-back if the first film was a success. The following mm-hmm. month, star John Bradley, and a.k.a. Samuel Samuel Turley, said that if Roland goes down the direction that he wants to, quote, the sequels would be even more batshit crazy than the first. If the, the ending in the way that he was like, yes, now we have lots of work to do with oh, yeah. the AI definitely felt like I was like, okay, are we getting a sequel? Sure, sure. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's unlikely to get a sequel anytime soon. Although, who knows with Netflix, right? If somebody puts it in the ear of the Netflix guys, maybe they'll go spend some money on it. They it, seem to. It could be a cult classic. Up. I feel like it might be. I feel like this has all the vibes of a cult classic, to be honest. That's all I could think of at the end of this. I was like, it's one of those, it's so bad, it's good. Like the room, yeah. like yeah. it just kind of comes back around. Um, We'll see. And, and I think it tries that. Like, I think the God help you if you're wrong, God help us all. I think those things are sort of aiming for, like, uh, Saturday afternoon basic cable immortality. Yeah. I, I mean, that's maybe the closest thing to, like, a inspirational speech in the, in the entire movie, other than, than Halle, Halle Berry getting on, the, getting on the PA at Vandenberg and, and telling people, like, y- y'all did a great job, but sorry, we failed. Get the hell out of here. Right. Get out of here. You'll spend the last minutes of your lives with your loved ones, you poor wretched creatures. I guess that's what, at the end of the day, that's something that I I really find hard with this movie. And that's maybe the optimistic in me is like, there were so many moments where it was like everybody except for like two characters, which are the main characters were like, fuck this. we're, We're leaving. And I guess I, I believe too much in the human spirit to be like, there would have been at least a couple maybe controllers that would have stayed behind just to make sure that the rock, you know what I mean? Like the entire team is not going to leave it up to the two that are, or the three that are in the rocket. So like, regardless of what's going to happen to them, I, I, I believe too much in the human spirit um, for that to be a reality. But maybe yeah, I, mean, I think they were happen. staying until they saw the gigantic tsunami coming. Right. I mean, everybody, fair. lots of people had left before they realized that, Oh, by the way, we can launch with two engines. Because <laughs> <laughs> the moon. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. yeah or even, but, like, the scene where, like, the NASA director that we keep coming back to is, like, peace out. Like, right? There's, like, this mass exodus. I yeah. And maybe this is just the, what I, so I recently watched um, that night, that, that 20-year anniversary of Apollo 11 film um, that the, was, the like, the one? hidden. Yeah, the Hidden Away IMAX. Super cool if anyone's not seen it. It's on Amazon for free. Um, But, you know, in just like educating myself and starting to work with Blue, that was definitely something on my list. And just watching the progression of a rocket going to the moon, right? Of like Uh the different stages that you have when you drop off your payloads. It felt like they barely got in the air 
they could still see the ground and they like were like release all of the payload and i'm like that seems way i know the moon is coming <laughs> but i feel like you got a long the, ways to go buddy one of, like one, you of the, didn't... one of the solid rocket motors stopped working that's fine it's fine it's fine we'll just keep going <laughs> wait to yeah. drop the other one. Oh, yeah, yeah right like, it just right. felt like you're still in the atmosphere why what what are you doing um maybe it was the tsunami that Mm-hmm. If, if, one of the, if one of the SRB stops running, then it becomes like one of those fireworks that you buy that spin themselves up. Oh, right? God. Have you ever seen those ones that like, yeah, spin yeah, up yeah, to yeah. high speed that make a really high pitched noise? That's what happens when if one of your SRBs stops. <sighs> Bad scene. Oh, well. Bad scene. Okay. Well, so. All right. <laughs> All right. Quite so a movie. This is the point. Quite a movie. So this is, we have one thing left to do before we can let our listeners. Uh, off the hook at ourselves and learn to start loving ourselves again after this, watching this film. And we do, so science fiction film. We have to rate this in all three aspects. So science is obvious. Uh, fiction is how it works as a story, the characters, their, their journey, you know, that kind of stuff. And then film is, you know, the cinematography and the, the elements that are specific to it being a film instead of being a novel or, you know, graphic novel or whatever. Does that include the score? Uh, yes, I would include okay. the score. Uh, that is interesting. We have, I don't, uh, we talked about the score in uh, Solaris because I loved it. Cliff Martinez. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, okay. So yeah. let's do, let's each give it our score in each of the three aspects. And so then we'll get, then it'll give a composite score. Um, so um, I'll have Tim go first. Oh, uh, okay. On science. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh. Uh, how low to go? How low do we go? Um, yeah, what scale is this on? Is it one to five or one to hundred percent? Zero to one hundred percent. Oh, zero uh, to one hundred percent. Okay. Zero to one. This is so hard. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Um, six percent, seven percent. Like I just, you know, there's so much. There's so much wrong here. Um. Yeah, let's call it. I'll give it seven percent. I'm feeling generous. Seven percent. All right. Um, well, I'll, I'll go next. We'll let Shane go first on the next one after this. Um, I am gonna say, I'm gonna say thirty percent, and here's why. Okay. I mean, it's got a shuttle. It's got solid rocket motors. It's got SSMEs. Um, it's got Constellation. Um, you know, it. It's they clearly. Um, he wanted to make a real science fiction film. Um, I, I, it's honestly, it's less scientifically nonsense than Ad Astra. I, I, I have a harder time with Ad Astra science than I do with this one. Okay. Um, it's got some, it's got a lot of dumb stuff, which is why I only give it 30, but I'm not, I'm not as, I'm not as negative as you are on the science. <laughs> Shane? Oh, I, I think, you know, you bumped me up from 10 to 22%. <laughs> um, and yeah. and that's only because I agree. I, it felt like, okay, you're gonna you're gonna laugh at me. Oh, we didn't even talk about this. So I I was on a BuzzFeed thing, and um, I was. It just so happened that the director was in it. the The title was like, um, directors who blamed other people for how bad their movie ha- like ended up being. Okay. And um, the comment from this director specifically was how Marvel and DC and superhero movies in general has, have ruined uh, the film industry. 
of expectations from viewers and everything. So like all the over the top things that he used to do, like is basically him saying like, they took my thing and made it superhero. Right. So I, I think I'm a little bit higher for all the reasons that Tola said. Plus I do, it just has heavy feelings of he really wanted to do something different in the sci-fi realm and the execution, which just was poor. All right. Um, um, yeah, so he was blaming Marvel. This was Emmerich who said this. He suggested the success of superhero movies like the Marvel Cinematic Universe and DC, EU, and Star Wars have ruined the movie industry. And this was huh. quoted back in February 2nd, 2022, in an interview wow. with Den of Geek. That's hilarious because, I mean, I would argue that the modern super blockbuster, um, got, uh, you know, the current generation of super blockbuster really got started with independence day. Right. And yeah. in terms of there had been blockbusters before that, but like, uh, anyhow, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Shane go first on the fiction side. So this is characterization and the plot. Mm. So on the fiction, the fact that, okay, it's, the fact that it's actually built on a theory that's that's bopping around, I feel like uh, probably like sixty-seven. Okay. Sixty-seven percent. I mean, he took something. He took. He was just inspired by the idea and tried to to mess around with it. And I think that's kind of what's bumping me up. But yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, uh, this is a terrible story. Um, I'm gonna give it. Uh, I'm gonna give it twenty uh, percent. That's the same number that I gave it. Hey. Um, yeah, I just I, I find the plot and the characterization and all that just completely execrable. Like a, a classic example is like they go through the tsunami and uh, then they just go take a nap, right? As one does. Like his son is trapped in jail. Remember, his son is in a jail that was probably, they probably experienced the exact same tsunami that they just experienced, right? Because it's Los Angeles. Mm. And uh, he just he just goes take it, goes and takes a nappy poo. Yeah. Uh, he's you know, a little sleepy. He gets sleepy. Yeah, right. I want to go, go, go rescue him as society yeah. is crumbling. And, uh, but first to nap. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in the exact same place. Okay, film. And I will go first. And I'm going to put a stake out there. I'm at a solid 60%. Emmerich does a nice job with his visuals. Uh, the CG is not among his best. Uh, but, you know, there's some nice visuals to this. Um, you know, it's not great. You know what? I'm going to give it 50%. I'm talking myself down. <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's a lot of CGI in this. Uh, and the preponderance of CGI, very little physical uh, uh, effects so yeah uh, it's still it's it's not terrible to look at it's going to do fine on saturday afternoon on basic cable and it'll do fine because of the the visuals not because of any of the any of the rest of it so i'm going to stick with 50 percent mm -hmm. i think i'm going to go with 40 percent um i love uh, fun fact about me, I listen to scores on the regular. I listen to like Pandora, like Lord of the Rings soundtrack, and I'm 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 a big fan of that. And I did enjoy the music. Um, visually speaking, you can definitely tell like the COVID influence from the visuals. I feel like we would have been seeing a very different movie if it if it weren't for COVID. 
So I think they did what they could with what they had in that respect. Fair enough. And Tim, you get the last word. Um, I, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to split the difference. I'm going to say 45. Um, I, th- I think, yeah, the visuals the visuals were good. I think the um, the score didn't jump out at me, but but I think it was also, yeah, like it was, it was halfway decent. Um, but like just just as the, the story was not a good story, it didn't hang together very well. The, the way the way that the, that the story was visually told um, in terms of the way it was cut and the way that like one one scene flowed into the next was just like, uh, ugh, it's gross. Um, can't handle it. Very whiplashy. Yeah. All right. And I'm, I was just going to go back and look at how we gave the science in Ad Astra 30%. So Ad Astra did better on the science. We gave the fiction 25% and we gave the film 78%. We thought it was reasonably pretty. And and I feel, I feel like I have to be harsher with the, with the science in, in a film like this than with Ad Astra. Cause I think, you know, Ad Astra is at least a little bit in the future. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you can take a little bit more license in terms of what is and isn't possible. Um, and, and Moonfall's in, it's, you know, it takes place today. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and like, and, and even in the recent past. So it's like, I, I can't, like, it's not how the space shuttle works, guys. It just doesn't do that. Yeah. All right. So we gave it 19% in aggregate, 19% for the science, 36% for the fiction, 45% for the film. And uh, Tim, I think, uh, can, we, can we just go ahead and say you and I are going to do uh, Life as our next one? Yeah. Because I think... Uh, I think that uh, would would reward us. I would love to get your thoughts. <laughs> well, Shane, I, I need a palate cleanser. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, well, Shane, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank um, you. You're our oh, first guest. Yeah, Woo! yeah. We've never we've you're you're our first guest. So um, a special place that you will always have. Um, do you have any? Uh, any closing thoughts for this experience? Oh, can I get two hours and 10 minutes of my life back? <laughs> um, Buzz Aldrin, hope you're doing well. Hope you survived everything in that film. Um, if not, hope you're living with your buddy uh, <laughs> on the moon and doing great things. Uh, thanks for having me. Super appreciate it. This is my first podcast. Uh, I do a lot of DMing and streaming and stuff. So I've really enjoyed my experience here. Do you have a website or any other uh, uh, socials? Anything, anything that you want to share with our listeners? Sure. Um, if you like a a new D and D project, tabletop game coming out in January. If you like streaming nerdy games, whether it be uh, Valheim, Dishonored, etc., you can find me on Twitch at Shaney Pants or uh, excuse me, Shaney Plays. Um, same thing on YouTube. Um, I stream on YouTube and Twitch and and uh, a couple of other places, but those are the main places you can probably find me. Cool. Yeah. And I bet you Tim can add those links to our uh, page when he, when he, because oh, what we right. do is, is I go through and I listen to this podcast and I write down all the random uh, topics that we've covered. And then Tim goes through and does an edit of it and also puts in all the good links. And so then we wind up having a reasonably coherent uh, description of the podcast. Tim, any closing thoughts? Um, once again, thank you, Shane. And I'm sorry. Um <laughs> 
but this is <laughs> this has been super fun. Um, and uh, yeah, I need to take a break from Roland Emmerich films for a while. Yeah. Well, Shane Malone, thank you again. Tim Lloyd, I'm Tola Martz. And uh, keep watching science fiction films. Woo! Thank you so much for listening to another episode of The Monty Hall Effect. Our musical themes were written and performed by Guy Ellis. If you have any thoughts, feedback, or questions about the podcast... You can contact us at the Monty Hall Effect at gmail.com. Thanks, and keep watching science fiction films.